Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, September the 8th, 843-661-0937. Good morning. No shot, no shot, no mask, no mask. Josh. Good morning. The ultimate 25-year-old renegade, right? <laughs> that's a way of putting it, that's I guess. That's what I'm talking about. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Speak to Rev in a very different tone. I noticed that. Yeah. Josh told me yesterday, <laughs> he said, hey, I don't know if what you were talking about yesterday was hypothetical or not, but I ain't hanging around in here. Until, I mean, if you're going to do this show until you're 85, <laughs> then, then I got to find something else to do. I'm not going to. I'm in pursuit of a dream, but I'm, I can't let your um, longevity of activity and career impede my progress. So, um, and I told Josh, tongue in cheek, well, you better find you something else to do because I'm doing this until I'm. Until I, I can't figure out another financial model besides work. Work. I, mean, right. I, I can't. Uh, somebody asked me, you know, how long do you need to work? Or how long do you want to work? Or how long do you? Well, I mean, I, I like spending money. Uh, you know, exactly. Rev, Rev knows this story. We had a very successful person in this studio one day. Extremely successful uh, financially. Now, you know, I'm not saying success is finance. I mean, that's certainly not the case. There are many, many people out there who have never made a lot of money. Unbelievably successful. Um, sure. I believe that, but you know, society has uh, made very important how much money you earn. And if you earn money, you tend to spend it. So this person's in the studio one day and we're off the air and I know him, I know his family have known his family for many, many, many years. And I asked the question, how long are you going to keep doing this? And he said, I don't know, man. I like, you know, I like going deep sea fishing. I got a boat and I like being able to put gas in it. And I've talked to my financial guide. He tells me what I would have if I stopped working. And I'm telling you, it ain't enough. <laughs> it's just not enough. Um, in other words, if you're making X number of dollars and your passive income or residual income is half that, you got to make a big lifestyle change. And, you know, between me and you and the fifth post, you ready? As long as I'm healthy, I'm not willing to make a big lifestyle change. Mm, I'm not interested in enough, making a big hey. lifestyle change. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, there's a number to retire on if you want to, well, I would say go to a fast food restaurant every day, but that number's quite different today mm -hmm. than it was uh, prior. And then there's another number if you want to continue living about like you are now. I get it when you turn a certain age, um, your health will begin at some point in time deteriorating. You got to believe, I mean, unless you die like my dad did with his boots on kind of sort of, um, but, but there's a process and I would imagine it gets less expensive. As you get a little older and less active, but um, my motivation is to make money, to stay employed, to make money, to be able to do the things that I still enjoy doing. They don't give Gamecock football tickets away. They don't give vacations away. They don't give trips to the beach away. I mean, you know, if they do let me in on it, because the only way I've ever been able to figure any of that out is to, you know, stay gainfully employed, make enough money. Um, and when you're in business, you're going to make some mistakes. I mean, you are. When you're in business for yourself, I am, you're going to make some mistakes, and those mistakes are expensive. Uh, there's an old saying in the business world. You ready? Education is expensive. Correct the mungo. Uh, it is very expensive. The bigger the mistake, the bigger um, the lesson learned. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, th there's a lot of interesting uh, – th there are a lot of political stories, a lot of non-political stories – and then there's this convergence of political and non-political. Um, the delegation will be here at 8 o'clock, and there's an interesting uh, – I touched on it a bit yesterday. I want to get, kind of dig into this uh, with them, and I think it's interesting that they allow you to hear them 
um, give answers to questions that you normally don't hear. There's a, there's a, during the COVID epidemic pandemic, there was an enormous money set aside for uh, broadband in rural areas. Makes perfect sense to me. I mean, that plays right in hand with a, with a pandemic, right? I mean, when we're talking about, you know, spending money on vaccines and masks and lockdowns, I mean, it makes perfect <laughs> sense that that would be the time sure. that you get most interested in broadband in rural areas. Now, now, Rev made an interesting observation. Rev says, man, I'm not sure it isn't as important today as, I mean, I don't think he ever said, hey, you know, the, the access to the internet or the access to high-speed internet is exactly the same as the access to electricity. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Right. You didn't argue that. Right. But, but, but I could be convinced that the Internet is important enough that it should be looked at sort of like a utility. And, and when, they, when, the, when the government got involved in expanding access to electricity and telephone service, I think the Internet, you know, there may be a role for, for government to play and fund some of this. Um, I just think that it's that, you know, that important. At, at in, what expense? Well, and that's the question. At what expense? And that's the question that's out there. I'm from rural America. I, I know the challenges that exist. They still exist. They've always existed. There's kind of a, you know, there's a, there's a, I don't know, Rev, there's a balance. Um, a lot of people don't like live crowded. You know, they just don't. They, they like having some room to roam and some space to do, to do their things. Um, I mean, I'm not talking about off the grid. I'm not talking about, you know, some cabin without electricity that you've been living in for 50 years. Um, I mean, that seems to be a little extreme. I'm talking about living in an area, a non-urban area, um, and being afforded the same amenities that people in, you know, some of these heavily populated metropolitan areas. I don't know the answer, um, that, but there is a genuine concern that kids of families who live in rural America are not being afforded the the, the quality of educational opportunities as a result of their lack of having uh, wireless internet, broadband. I get that. That, that is exactly the way I'd couch it. You know, kids in rural America deserve the right to be educated as efficiently and effectively as kids in urban areas. But but do they? I mean, do they? When you decide, I'll give an example. When I was on county council, I had a hellion that was um after me every week about a he'd built he'd gone off somewhere, storm hit Louisiana, he goes down to Louisiana, makes a lot of money, comes back home, builds a big house on a farm that they own. It was on a dirt road. And he kept nagging me about this big home he has and this big car he has, and he's on a dirt road. I said, did they dirt the paved road, or did you build a house on a dirt road? <laughs> I mean, nobody dirt. Right. I mean, they, they don't dirt paved roads. Yeah. They pave dirt roads. So, so you built a big house uh, and bought a big, nice car on money you made from a hurricane cleanup. God bless you. Good for you. He's a hustler. But, but I, you know, he was, he was just nagging me every week. You got to help me with this road. You got to help me with this road. I can't live on this dirt road. But a house on the dirt road. I mean, you you decide to live in rural America. You understand there are certain things you do have. That's privacy. And I mean, if you want to, you know, take a whiz off your back porch, you can. <laughs> you can't do that in Fifth Avenue, or you can't do that in. Well, I guess you can in San Francisco. Um, sure. Yeah, but they don't Anything even. Goes yeah, there. There's more feces on the street in San Francisco than there is in in farmland USA. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's a story for for another day. But, but I read yesterday, uh, went back and read it again last night. I read an article last week uh, because I'm interested in rural America, from rural America. I read an article that they're averaging in about eight states, and you can imagine the states. It's Montana, Wyoming, uh, the Dakotas, 
you know, they're spending X number of dollars in uh, making broadband accessible to rural America. Well, I mean, I don't know. In Montana, is there anything other than rural America? I mean, in Wyoming, is there anything? I mean, it's 90% rural, right? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Wyoming has more cows than people. So it's going to be rural by, by definition. South Carolina would be somewhat rural, but it ain't, it ain't Montana rural. It's not, you know, Wyoming rural. But in some of these places, they're spending 33, excuse me, $53,000 per hookup. Do those people deserve rural internet? I mean, is that, is that a wise expense of taxpayer dollars? I mean, does the taxpayer at large have an obligation to pay $53,000 per hookup to make sure a kid in rural Montana is able to compete, you know, educationally with a kid in New York City now, or see, a kid that, in Charlotte. But or, see, that doesn't make common sense when you say $53,000 a hookup. That's where it goes but, off the but, rails. Okay, so, so what does make sense? Well, I don't is, know. Is it, uh, yeah. I know you don't, and yeah. I don't either. Yeah. None of us do. You know, yeah. but that, that's, that's the, the question. That's the crux yeah. of the case of the by debate. case. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I read this, and well, I'll give an example. I think in Bamberg and Orangeburg County, they just got approved thirteen million dollars in you know uh, broadband spending. I mean, these states, the federal government's allocating the funds to the states. The states have a lot of discretion on where, when, how. You know, it does it make sense? Does it not make sense? I'll, I'll give you the stat. I'll give you a stat that I doubt the delegation knows. In about six counties in South Carolina, I just named two. In six counties in South Carolina, the hookup fee is more expensive than the assessed value of the property. Let me say that again. In yeah, six counties that. in South Carolina, the hookup fee for broadband, high-speed broadband, I guess is broadband, is more than the assessed value of 25% of the homes that they're hooking the Wi-Fi up to. I mean, is that a good use of taxpayer dollars? I mean, I don't think any Republican would be opposed to, you know, a child who lives in a single-wide, a, a 25- or 30-year-old single-wide mobile home in rural Bamberg County. I mean, I don't think Republicans are opposed to that kid having access uh, to Internet, uh, high-speed Internet for that matter. But at what point does it stop making sense? And I think when you look at that statistic, those two statistics in Montana to Wyoming, the average hookup cost is $53,000 per house. In six counties in South Carolina, the hookup cost is more than the assessed value of the property in 25% of the hookups. Is that the responsibility of government? I mean, I think Rev said, hey, it's important, man. It's, it's very important in today's world. I mean, as you prepare kids for educational opportunities and employment opportunities, the access to the broadband is, is, is an integral ingredient to making sure these kids are ready to be competitive. Fair enough. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I don't know of a, a study or survey. I'm sure that there, there's been some done. Kid with access to broadband, his educational attainment. Kid without access to broadband, his educational attainment. Um, I, I, it's just it's kind of a, um, I mean, it's a question that deserves consideration. And, and we're not even debating that. You know what we're doing? We're celebrating that more kids are getting broadband. Good. At what expense? But I mean, that seems to be left out of this. And the Wall Street Journal, to their credit, and I guess this is what frustrates me about the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, Washington Post, when they commit to it, 
they can still do hard news. I mean, they can still do journalistic uh, journalism the way journalism was intended uh, to be. But I want to get the delegation here, and there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. It's just we're leaving a lot of these factoids out because they don't they don't sell quite as well <laughs> in the public square. I mean, you know, if I told Rev, Rev, the federal government's investing a lot of money in, you know, making accessible high-speed Internet in rural America, Rev would say, well, I know you got to be for that from where you come from. And it, uh, the, the, your, your, uh, your endearment to rural America, yeah, I am. Hypothetically and theoretically, I am. But what's the details? Where are the details? And I think when you start throwing those sorts of data points out, you go, wow, I mean, I, I don't know if this makes sense or not. Now, now the, um, the article of the Wall Street Journal referred to Starlink and said that, um, that the, the company that Elon Musk founded, Starlink, believes they can provide access or Internet access not as reliable. It says high speed, but it's a little less reliable. There are some variables there that affect the inconsistency of that as opposed to, you know, the hard wiring of broadband. But, but he says, you know, or must not say it, a spokesperson for Starlink says, you know, we can do this for a couple of hundred dollars per house. So why not the government subsidize the purchasing? See, and that makes more sense financially. Sure, sure. I mean, th- th- there are places in rural America that it makes perfect sense to build raw broadband. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There are places in rural America that are real damn rural. And I'm not sure it makes sense to, um, to get so hung up on, you know, everybody having the same high speed and same quality of, um, of Internet. It's just, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting topic and conversation. Um, I doubt the delegation has delved into that as much as I have. Um, but it's just something I think is considered, you know, uh, we broadcast in a lot of rural areas. I mean, I spoke at the Sumter County GOP last night. Sumter has a little bit of urban, a lot of rural. I mean, I got to believe people in that room last night were very, uh, percentage were rural. And they would be for the concept of providing high-speed internet to rural Americans. But but as conservative Republicans, about 53 grand per hookup. Oh, I don't know about that. Is there another consideration? Yeah, you got Starlink over here. So I'll ask Rev this. As a limited government conservative, Josh, you're a limited government conservative. Somewhat. Would you be in favor of subsidizing Starlink? Yes. That's a for-profit business. Yeah, but but if that's the most efficient way to deliver some Internet to these rural areas, it might make sense to do that. And I wouldn't necessarily be against it. Okay, fair enough. Because I I think that's probably that important. Okay. And, And you believe that is a fundamental role of government? Well, I think there's no right. I mean, there's yeah. no way. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Yep. You know, I'm not. Yep. I Good. think so. And I, but I think that we need to take funds away, you know, when we can spend like however many billion dollars it is on Ukraine and frankly, all these overindulgent social services like welfare and stuff, take the money from there. And the, I mean, how much do so like welfare people get a year? So if Josh is in Congress and he's prioritizing spending before Josh sends another dollar to Ukraine, he's going to look at the situation involving broadband in rural America. I think I mean, I'm with you there. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if I had a pecking order, support of Ukraine would be far behind providing access to broadband for rural Americans. Right. And, and I would do the math and we'd have to have a debate and a discussion and some disagreement. But, um, but yeah, but I would be in favor of subsidizing Starlink to provide access to high-speed Internet in rural America if it was, you know, uh, 25,000 times cheaper than 
you know, hardwiring broadband. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take our first break. Bert in Florence, good morning. Good morning. I grew up. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. hear you just fine. Okay, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I grew up in the mountains of Arkansas. We didn't have internet. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have running water. We literally hauled our water up in a bucket from a stream that we dug. Okay? We didn't have all the stuff that, that you get in the cities. But we had acres and acres of no other person and wilderness and fresh water, you know, the best tasting water in the world. So my point is this. There's a trade-off. If you want these things, move to the city. Move closer in. If you want the convenience, I mean, we had to drive for an hour to get to what's considered a a, a quickie mart, you know, a, a convenience store. We had to drive for to about almost three hours to get to what you would consider a grocery store, okay? That's the trade-off of living out like that. If you want the convenience stuff, move in. So I'm against $53,000 per home, and I'm against $200 per home. When did it become the job of government to take care of and pamper every person? I mean, you know, when I read the Constitution, I see they're supposed to protect our borders. They're supposed to basically keep peace between the states. They are not supposed to come in and go, oh, this person needs diapers. That person needs internet. Uh, oh, I don't think the car that person drives enough. I think we should fund that. It is not the responsibility of government to rob the general population to take care of those who, if they wanted to change their circumstances, they could change their circumstances. I mean, that's what has led to people sitting on the couch and doing nothing and letting government completely take care of them. So I'm opposed to any government service like that whatsoever. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. But see, the danger of not having electricity or water, you drift off into paganism. You got to be careful about that. You got to be careful about not having water, not having uh, some of the amenities and luxuries of modern-day America. You kind of drift off into into, into paganism. I say that with a certain level of or a certain term of endearment. When the only person you got to talk to is trees, eventually they start talking back to you. Yeah. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. So you really can't tell if it's $67 billion or $100 billion. It's actually between $67 and $99 billion, hooking up about 1.8 million homes, somewhere um, thereabout. The reason you can't get kind of a handle on exactly how much money it is, I mean, I actually went back and looked at some of the um, the budget, and and they've got, ready, tribal broadband connectivity program. But that's one pot of money. And then you got another pot of money, the USDA, called the Reconnect Program, um, the Treasury Capital Projects Fund, the FCC Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. It, it, that these are the four month funding mechanisms for Internet for All. I mean, it's a Democrat, it's a Biden program called Internet for All. The Internet for All program is spent somewhere north of 67, but south of 99. I mean, it's hard to really understand exactly. Well, imagine that. You can't figure out where the money is or where it's going or where it's coming from. We know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. It's either our pockets or the Fed. I mean, that's where the money comes from. <laughs> but but the money goes into Internet for All. And the Internet for All, and I mean, there's no telling how many sen- senators' fingerprints. I mean, there is no telling how many senators touch this money to make sure 
a certain percentage went to the tribal broadband connectivity program. There's some prominent senator, I'm predicting, that has Indian reservations in his state that he's kind of made a deal with. You know, you keep me as a senator and let me know if you ever need anything. So you've got the tribal broadband connectivity program. You've got the USDA Reconnect Treasury Capital Projects Fund. That sounds like a Goldman Sachs uh, organization. And then you've got the FCC Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. Those are the four pots of money that make sure people who live in rural America are having access to high-speed Internet. And as usual, when the government gets involved in, it becomes very inefficient and Everybody's got to get their cut. Okay, just imagine somebody says, hey, Internet for all sounds good. Let's create this big pot of money. So it puts somewhere between 67 and 99 billion, billion with a B, uh, dollars in this fund. And somebody says, yeah, but if you do that, we can't do it the way I want to do it. So let's create the tribal broadband connectivity program. And then somebody else in another state says, yeah, but I don't think I qualify for that money. So let's create a USDA reconnect program. I'm more familiar with the USDA and how they work. Um, and then somebody says, yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know that I understand that. I understand, um, some of the FCC requirements. So let's have an FCC rural digital opportunity fund. And then somebody says, well, I mean, is three really enough? Well, how about a treasury's capital projects fund? And here you are now scratching your head saying, I know where the money comes from, but where in God's name is the money going? <laughs> if you can't baffle them with the brilliance, you could confuse, confuse them with BS. That's the old analogy in politics. Let's go to the phone. Tony in Calhoun County listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning. Dave Dave was just getting to the uh getting to the, finding the answer there. Every time the government gets involved in anything, I don't think it becomes more scarce and with a scarcity comes, you know, an increased price. Uh, you had mentioned fifty three thousand dollars. Sounds like you might be in rural America, <laughs> uh, Tony. Yeah, what well, you you had mentioned fifty three thousand dollars, but that's with the government forcing all this to be done right away. The ca- you know there there won't be as much cable, there won't be as much combiners, amplifiers, so their prices go up. If that had been left to the free market, it would go slower, but that price might be that fifty three thousand dollar hookup might be three or four thousand dollars. You know, to do a 120-acre farm or whatever it is. Um, you also have to look at the average. I mean, if Ken, you're in business and you you owned owned the company, you were doing the business. You'd have to average that out. I mean, if you got to an apartment complex, you could do you know 30 30 apartments in a day. You know, so then your your hookup cost would be 50 bucks or 100 bucks. So you'd have to average in, you know the number of customers and the cost per customer and find out where your profit margin is. But with the government getting involved, you know, they're just forcing it to, it's like the electric vehicles. They're just trying to force it down the throat. So that's jacking the price up on everything. But um, anyway, I just want to make sure you thought about the, uh, you know, the average cost, not just the, you know, the worst case example cost and that when the government gets involved, it all gets really, really expensive. That's it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yes, yeah, so the average cost is fifty-three grand in Montana. The average cost. You ready for this? The average cost in Montana connection cost per home three hundred thousand dollars. Mm. I mean, that's in Montana now. Crazy. I mean, that's one of the most sparsely populated areas yeah. in America. Wyoming would be similar to that. So, um, I believe you know whatever is in Montana is probably in Wyoming. So, yeah, I mean, the average is fifty-three grand. You're right. I mean, if you've got an apartment complex. Somewhere in rural America, 
it, it significantly or costs significantly less than that to hook up that many of uh, the connection per uh, I guess per home per unit, however you want to uh, explain it. But yeah, but as a business guy, you got to find an average um, cost of you know what, what do I have in it? Well, you know, but but fifty three grand is the average cost in Montana and Wyoming. It's about three hundred thousand dollars. I just said um, in South Carolina, I've read, uh, but it's not public knowledge. But I know how to find these things out. I've read uh, some reports that say in six counties in South Carolina. The connection cost is more than the assessed value of the home 25% of the time. And, guys, I'm not saying I'm for or against this. I just think these are conversations. I wonder if the Senate debated this. I wonder if Congress debated debated this. Once a Democrat hears, with all due respect, once a Democrat hears, Internet for all. I mean, you know what they do? They put their cheerleader uniform on. Internet for all. Yeah, but it could cost 53 grand a connection. So, I mean, everybody deserves access to high-speed Internet. I mean, that's kind of sort of how they're wired. And the government's the only one that can provide this. And, you know, if you're spending somebody else's money, why do you really care what it costs at the end of the day? Uh, to, to, um, to Tony's point, if you're spending your own money, if a business guy's thinking about, you know, a construction project, there are a lot of variables that go into play, and you decide, you know, what your price is and what your margins need to be, what your overhead is going to be. I mean, there, there's a lot of tangibles here, you know, that you have to figure on. But if you're the government and somebody in your party says Internet for all and you own one half of the government, it's going to get done. I mean, that's just the nature of the way Washington conducts business, Internet for all. Who can be opposed to that? And somebody's got to sit down and say, oh, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I'm opposed to it at 53000 per hookup. So can we sit down and have some sort of conversation? And out of that comes, you know, probably an increase in the funding. From what I'm reading, it looks to me like the original amount was $67 billion. And because of the expensive nature of what they're trying to do, they increased from sixty-seven to about $100 billion, $99 billion. It's somewhere between 67, north of sixty-seven, south of 99 but I've been in some of these meetings, and I can tell you how it goes. When they realized that Internet for All was going to cost, you know, $53,000 per hookup in, uh, in rural America, somebody said, well, 67 b ain't going to be enough. And somebody else said, okay, well, it, it, you know, what does it need to be? And then somebody at the USDA or the FCC or the Tribal Broadband Connectivity Program said, you know, we think we can do it for $100 billion. And once again, if it's nobody's money, it's anybody's money. When it's anybody's money, why not get some of, of, of anybody's money? Let's go to the phone. Bob and Florence, good morning. You're on. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. I hope you all are doing well. Hey, Bob. Um, hey, man. Um, I was just pondering this this notion, and, and it, it does seem agreeable to providing that access. And to me, it it bears a similarity to what must have occurred with the telephone back in the day when – if we equate similarity between access to the internet and access to a telephone, I'm sure this type of conversation occurred back in the early part of the 20th century that, Hey, you know, these rural areas out there should really have telephone service because the telephone has become a necessity for communication. And so now fast forward to our time, and well, the internet's really become almost a necessity to conduct business. 
some companies it's hard to even get in touch and do business with companies unless you have internet access. And 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 I feel for people who live out in remote areas and they have, they have a difficult difficult time in, in, in getting internet service. Uh, they they've been getting satellite service in some areas, and and as you said, Elon Musk is promising worldwide coverage with his uh, with his network of satellites. So I'm thinking it's 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 probably a good thing. But we I, I agree with the with the uh, proposition that we need to find a cheaper way to do it. Um, you know, five hundred dollars per household seems reasonable, even if it's intermittent or slower service rather than no service. And um, I'll just leave it at that and, and uh, listen for your comments. Thanks, thank, guys. Thank, thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, to, to me, the the argument, and once again, having served in office, I think I have uh, a pretty decent understanding of how these things go. The biggest advocate for this is who? I mean, internet providers. I mean, if the government's going to subsidize your increasing of customers by, you know, 2 million households in rural America, and that's just back in napkin math, I have no idea how many total households they've hooked up. Um, I, I do believe the number of the amount of money spent taxpayer dollars is somewhere between 67 and a hundred billion with a B and that's a lot of money. I mean, I know in a world where we talk trillions of dollars in debt, uh, every now and then we, we kind of become desensitized to billions, you know, a hundred billion kind of gets your attention. A billion doesn't, I mean, a billion dollars is a thousand million. In fact, you might find yourself saying it's only a billion. Yeah, I mean, it's only a billion <laughs> bucks. I mean, I caught myself saying that a little bit about, well, at least it's not a trillion. Right. You know, <laughs> right. We could be spending a trillion yeah. dollars, you know, Sad, trying to provide. And I'm not, I'm not saying it, it's good or bad. I'm not arguing that point. I, I just think this is one of the issues that, that many conservatives find themselves a little bit conflicted about. I think most conservatives believe that the Internet's important. Most conservatives believe that high-speed Internet allows kids in rural areas to compete fairly with kids who live in urban areas. And I think we all understand um, cable companies are not going to charge. There's nobody who lives in rural America. If Josh lived in the mountains and Josh called his cable or his internet provider and said, hey, can I get high-speed internet run to my home? I'm wealthy. It doesn't matter what it costs. And the internet provider said, sure, we'll be out tomorrow. And they sent a crew out, and they gave him a price of $53,000. I mean, does Josh sign up and say, hook me up? I mean, that, that, that's kind of sort of where we are. I mean, the average price of connection across the board is fifty-three grand per. So, so how many people would sign up? How many people could sign up? How many Internet companies would say, will you sign this guarantee for fifty-three grand, and I'll be there tomorrow with the trucks and the, you know, the ditch witches and all these other sorts of things? Um, I mean, I, I just wonder how much oversight there is here. That's probably my biggest concern as a um, as a, a business person who has been in government, how much oversight is here. How many people from the counties, Bamberg and Orangeburg County, have recently got, uh, you know, $13 million out of this, uh, one of these four pots of money? How many, how many people, how many local officials in Bamberg and Orangeburg County are following behind making sure these companies are doing what they say they're doing. Because once again, government contracts are government contracts, right? Uh, they, they, you know, we, we believe, and I've always felt, you know, a contract in the private sector is different to the contract in the public sector. Um, are, are, we, are we maintaining the network once the network is established? Who's responsible for maintaining Who's responsible for operating? I mean, I understand you put a connection in a house. The house has a, a Wi-Fi, high-speed Wi-Fi. But is the is the is the deal between the county 
I mean, it obviously is in South Carolina because Bamberg and Orangeburg County got the the loot. They got the you know the um the tranches of funding, um so to speak. And once again, I'm not arguing it's a bad or good thing. I think it's a complicated matter, and I think people like us who believe in limited government, the forces of the free market, I think we find ourselves perpetually conflicted on issues like this because Rev said it. He believes the internet is similar. I'll give an example. I think the internet is more disruptive than the automobile. I've, I've argued the internet, the day Henry Ford revolutionized the auto industry was a bad day for the blacksmith. I mean, the day, the day the Wright brothers did their thing in Kitty Hawk, um, I'm not saying Vanderbilt invented the railroad, but he certainly expanded the railroad across America. I mean, those were disruptive forces. Transporting people from point A to point B was a big deal during the Industrial Revolution. And the automobile, the train, the, the, the airplane, I mean, they fundamentally changed our transporting people from point A to point B. I would argue the Internet has been as disruptive as the train, plane, and automobile simultaneously. I mean, I, I believe that. I mean, in a technological sort of way, it has just completely obliterated what normal was and forced people like us. I mean, let's be honest. We're doing a, a Facebook Live segment every day. Uh, you know, we, we're doing a podcast. We uh, we embrace social media. Josh has gotten real active on uh, the Facebook. Josh and our uh, Jeff, I think, our promotions coordinator. Um, I mean, you don't stick your 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 you know your your flag in the ground and say you know it's radio or else. No, I mean, radio's had to figure out a way to be complementary to the digital space. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I could easily argue that the internet has been dis- has been as disruptive as the automobile, the plane, and train invented simultaneously. Think about how many people listen to this show via right. streaming. Yeah. I mean, we can actually track that. There's a lot of you, and we appreciate you. Yep. Take a break. Back in a few. I'll tell you, you watch them Gamecocks, it's about the only way you can watch them this past weekend is with a beer in your hand. <laughs> if you watch them sober, you'll throw up in the floor. A uh-huh. um, little bit of, um, and this is in humor, and I mean this sincerely. So the Gamecocks stink it up, and um, I go to bed, and I wake up to 100 text. Clemson had lost. And, yeah, I mean, there was a little chuckle, you know, a little like, mm, okay, misery loves company. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was largely Gamecock fans. So I did yeah. reach out to one of my Clemson antagonists. I got a Clemson buddy antagonizes me. I love him. He loves me. But he does bother me a bit sometimes. Um, at the most inopportune moments, he'll send me a text. And um, so I sent him a picture of Spurrier in the crowd with that blue Duke shirt on. I said, he got you again. <laughs> he got you again. <laughs> but it's all in good humor. I mean, I don't key anybody's car, and I don't want anybody hitting me in the head with a brick. So let's leave it at that. <laughs> let's go to the phone. Tim in Varnville. Good morning. You're on. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, um, I, I agree with your callers that have made the point about it's not government's role, but, um, you know, Ken, you're a businessman. You wouldn't make truck bodies or go into the truck body business if there was nobody who had trucks. So, and, and my point is, is that these companies, internet service providers, this is an investment. If, if they're not going to make money going into those rural areas, then there's no point for them going into the rural areas. My issue with this is, is also a bit more selfish because I pay for my internet service. And so I'm not relying on a, on a collectivist system 
to keep my bill down. Whatever I'm at the mercy of whatever that internet service provider wants to charge me, or I just don't have internet service. And I think that's this is where we get into the issue when whenever we have these third parties paying for anything, we know that the cost is going to go up. You can look at it with healthcare. You can look at it with with education, um, and especially when that third party payer is the government, and uh, in other words, us the taxpayers. And so uh, that, that's that's a big issue uh, because if these internet service providers were relying on me as a homeowner or an apartment dweller or whatever to write them a check for $53,000 to come and hook up internet to my house, there's no way. They wouldn't be able to charge $53,000. They're not going to get $53,000 from me just so that I can listen to Wake Up Carolina streaming in Barnville. I love you guys, but not $53,000 worth of love. And you know, there was a senator from New York at uh, one time, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was a Democrat, and this goes to your point, Ken, he once said, you know, a billion here, a billion there. Before you know it, we're talking about real money. And we've lost that perspective. So that was all I had to add. That's a lot. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for listening, thank you. and thank you for, um, for, for your opinions. And, and, and I want to go back. I just thought it was an interesting subject. And it obviously has been. We've had an hour's worth of phone calls. People have a, a variety of opinions there. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've always been gut-level honest with our audience. I mean, it, 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 for or against. In all honesty, if I'm in that world, it's who's paying me. I mean, am I being paid by the Internet providers to lobby government to do this, to increase my, my customer base? I could easily do that. If I'm being paid to stand in opposition to work for Starlink and, you know, maybe subsidize a couple of hundred dollars worth of um, equipment purchase, I, I think I could do that. Um, I, I just, like Rev said, the interesting part of this is for those of us who believe in less government, but also believe that rural Americans deserve, you know, competitive, a, a com, I don't want to say a competitive advantage, but at least a level playing field, preparing kids. Uh, let's ask this question. Let's say Pamplico. I mean, that's my hometown. Let's say Pamplico, I mean, you know, I, I'll, guys, when George Rogers won the Heisman Trophy, about eight or ten of us rented a hotel room so we could watch Cablevision. I mean, the year George Rogers won the Heisman, I didn't know anybody that had cable. I mean, I was from Pamplico. Um, we rented a hotel room and came to Florence and watched George Rogers in South Carolina play Southern California. <laughs> I mean, that was the big game. Ronnie Lott played for Southern Cal. George Rogers played for South Carolina. Um, I mean, I, you know, I don't know that I ever felt anybody owed me cable vision. I mean, I didn't. Um, is the internet different? Is the, is the internet about education and opportunity and advancement, uh, the betterment of mankind as an American citizen? I don't know. I mean, I could argue that. I mean, if somebody's paying me a consulting fee, I could go meet Kiwanis clubs and Rotarians and, and you know, and, and lobby and sell and, and try to convince others that this is why the government needs to be involved in that business. But, but I'm a limited government conservative. I mean, I, I'd rather government stay in its place. I'd rather government do certain prescribed, uh, you know, uh, constitutionally obligated things and, and kind of let the market figure the rest of it out. That's why I thought this was an interesting Story, I think the majority of you out there believe, I don't know, I don't read minds, but I think the majority of you out there listening to my voice believe that it's ridiculous the government spending $53,000 to hook up uh, per home across the board, and that includes Wyoming. Now, once again, Wyoming in some places, 300000 
You got to believe Wyoming, excuse me, Montana. Wyoming would be similar uh, to that. I don't know what the average per hookup in South Carolina is. I mean, I don't have that number. But but across the nation, it's about $53,000 per hookup. Um, that makes you scratch your head a little bit. When someone says Internet for all and the Democrats don't care what it costs, the Republicans, to me, are the ones that say, whoa. I mean, I'm not opposed to Internet for all, but at what expense? I mean, how much does this cost? Is there a way to do this more effectively, more efficiently? I'll give you a wild card that I thought about this morning. These people are largely impoverished. Not all, but we just said in South Carolina, 25% of the homes being connected have an assessed value less than the connection cost. Are those people going to be able to pay the subscription fee? Are they going to be able to pay the, um, you know, the, um, what, the payment? I mean, if they're, if they're, you know, nearly destitute anyway, if they're living in poverty anyway, are they going to pay the $29.99 or $49.99 or $69.99, you know, that this uh, provider is going to charge them? If not, then we've done $53,000 for nothing, for absolutely nothing. Um, I, I would imagine, I've not read the legislation, I would imagine, knowing the Democrats, that there's a clause or a proviso, a statute included that says, if this person falls on financial hardship, the government picks the bill up. The government pays the $49, you know, provider fee. I don't know that's in there, but I think I know how Democrats think and how they work and how they roll. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if somebody's below a certain income level, not only does the government pay to hook the service up, the government foots the bill. I just know how mm-hmm. Democrats think. I assumed that. Sure. I mean, you, you always, yeah. I mean, if, if we're going to hook internet up to a home worth less than the hookup fee, what is the likelihood that that person is financially able in the long run to pay the provider fee? Slim to none and Slim just left town. So who picks up the tab? I mean, do we go cut the service or does the government continue to pay for the provide or the providing of, of the internet? Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You know, kid, I got my my first smartphone six years ago. Didn't even know what Facebook, Instagram, or anything. I didn't even I, I didn't really even know how to work a computer. Still don't. They'd be doing those people a favor. They'd be doing them a favor by not having it. I know it's the worst. One of the worst things that's ever happened to me, my children, and it, I mean, it is it is the work of the devil himself. And it is pure evil. It, I'll tell you one thing. The Internet will take you a whole lot closer to hell, brother, than it will ever take you to heaven. I'll promise you that all day long. And i tell you, that the people that are behind all of this are evil. Bill Gates is evil. If you look at some of the stuff he's up to, the things he's trying to have that he has planned for us, it's right off of some side, science fiction not up movie or whatever. It's straight out, out of Revelation. But I, mean, I, you know, I know you were talking about longevity. So I was watching this, again, on the Internet, watching this thing on longevity on Netflix. And it was all pretty good until they got to the last one, which was Singapore. And everybody was kind of cheering it on. But if you look deep in it, what they do in Singapore is the government forcing it down your throat. You can't buy the cheapest car. You can a, a cheap car in Singapore is the equivalent of one hundred fifty thousand dollars, or two hundred. I think it's two hundred fifty thousand, and 
they charge you about $150,000 to drive it. They want to put you all in apartments on top of each other. They will they, they put high taxations on anything that they deem bad for you. I tell you, some of this thing about living to be 100 is a pretty damn miserable life for a lot of Americans. But anyway, my take on this whole, I, I, wish, I wish they never would have invented the first computer, to tell you the truth. And I wonder what would happen if you took those people in Montana and got rid of all their computers there and, and just sat there and said, hey, let's give them a bunch of books for, for, for the, yeah, until they turn 21, nothing but books, pen and paper. And then if they want to learn how to work a computer, they could go they could go somewhere and learn it. I wonder who would be more successful at the end of the day. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone else is there. Daphne and Dylan, good morning. Breeze is exactly right. Uh, you got to ask yourself, who controls the Internet? Why are the Democrats pushing for it? And is it just another trick? Well, Spectrum got the contract here in our county. Now, I live 10 miles out of town. Closest town is 10 miles, okay? I had HughesNet. I canceled it because all I got was propaganda. So is are the Democrats pushing it because they want to push more propaganda? I told my grandchildren, do not believe everything you see on the Internet. Uh, it is not just for rural areas because I am connected to a lot of different people in town, and it seems that the slum areas are getting little notifications in their doors that they will be able to get Internet for $5. In the country... They are getting things put in their mailboxes that it would be $50. So it's not just the rule. If you listen to the ads being run on NBC and CBS and uh, for the smartphones free and you get service free, provided you are on Medicaid and or you live in public housing. All the illegals that are coming across the border are getting smartphones. I've got a flip phone for emergencies. So they are spending money to try and buy boats. They are going to try and register illegals to vote by 24. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. This has turned in. The kind of an interesting conversation. A lot of you have, um, you know, different opinions. I respect that. Certainly um, do. I'm reading some of the comments while you guys are calling in on the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal subscriber is normally a little more informed. I didn't say more intelligent, uh, a little more informed um, than most. And they're about like you are. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. They have a lot of different opinions. Um, the majority that I'm reading, how are we holding accountable these companies to get these contracts? In other words, if fifty-three thousand's the number, is it the is it the um the the eight hundred dollar toilet seat, or the two hundred dollar hammer? You know, DOD. Uh, who's who's um who's that oversight over um over these sorts of things? I can probably find that out by by the end of the day. I don't know by the end of the show, but by the end of the day, I can find out from some of the local officials. Um, you know how much oversight they have 
in some of this. I've got a particular House member that I've communicated with a lot um, who represents a very rural district. He would know much better than I, you know, what sort of oversight there is, uh, what sort of cost per connection is taking place in South Carolina. Um, But when I read the article, I knew in my heart that this would be one of these conflicting arguments, one of these situations that limited government conservatives find themselves in periodically. Uh, Let's say you're a limited government conservative living in rural America, (laughs) and all of a sudden you've got a chance to get high-speed internet. And along with that comes these educational and entertainment opportunities. You know, what, what Breeze is talking about, I understand, there is a lot of danger in the Internet. I mean, the, you know, the, 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 un, what, 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 the unchaperoned young person, uh, you know, the, their, their malleable mind, the, their, you know, their inability to decipher what is legit and what's not. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, and there's, there's a uh, kind of a predatory element in the, um, in the digital square, so to speak, that preys upon some of these children who don't know any better. I mean, I, you know, adults fall for it far too frequently. Imagine a kid who is still very um, naive to the real world. I mean, imagine we, we all know someone in our lives who's done something real stupid on the Internet. I mean, everybody listening to me right now knows someone or has done something, and you're kind of like, I should have known better than that. I mean, I shouldn't. Um, I see these Facebook um, ads uh, you know, a brand new car for $300. Well, I mean, there's a reason it's, it's on there every day. There's enough, you know, 40-year-old morons who click on thinking it's legit and thinking it's it's real. I mean, imagine a kid. I mean, if you're a kind of an older and more mature person and you still believe there's a chance somebody out there you've never met in your life is going to sell you a brand new car for $300, I mean, imagine the, the impact that would have on a, uh, on a child. So, I mean, it, you know, moderation, I guess, is the word that comes to mind. Um, you know, can you, can we filter? Um, can you filter? I mean, if this is sincerely for educational opportunities, can you filter so that only those sorts of, um, uh, you know, the entertainment's not allowed to make its way into the home, but the educational opportunities are. I mean, I thought of that. I thought about, you know, who controls the Internet? I mean, Reb believes liberals do. I believe liberals do. I mean, we know for a fact. I mean, there, there is no doubt that we get censored. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, we, we fall in a certain category of opinion that's not very popular amongst people who run Facebook. I think Twitter's a little different now. TikTok, Instagram would be similar to that. Um, if you are a conservative and you have a message, I, I, I go back to Tucker. I mean, I think the reason Tucker's on Twitter and the reason Tucker allowed a guy that says he smoked crack and had sex with Barack Obama on, you know, the uh, the most popular conservative media figure in America is a little fight fire with fire. I mean, I think Tucker's doing exactly what we said we need to do if we're going to match the intensity of the American political left. And that is, you know, if they're going to indict a president, former president, on RICO charges, then we're going to give a big form to a guy who said he smoked crack and had sex with Barack Obama. I mean, that, that you know, it. I, I had a buddy of mine yesterday. I, I sent, I sent him a text. I said, "You got Twitter?" No, I didn't. I knew he didn't. I knew the answer, and he said, "Why?" Because I knew he couldn't stand it. And I said, "There's this guy out there on Twitter sphere that's saying he had sex with Barack Obama uh, after doing cocaine. He had drug-induced sex in the back of a limo with uh, with Barack Obama." 
and I'm not going to say the text coming back was obviously was, uh, you know, one word, um, shoot, uh, <laughs> where can I find it? You know, anyway, he found it. So he texts me later and says, wow, wow. What's your theory? Do you believe him? I said, it's not whether I believe the guy or not. It's what I theorize is Tucker's response to anything goes. I mean, if the left is willing to go to the extreme of allowing a local prosecutor, a racist, politically motivated local prosecutor, to indict a former president in the middle of a campaign that he's the front runner on RICO charges, then I'm more than willing to give, you know, my medium, my forum, uh, which is the largest in conservative world. Uh, you know, I, th- I think this guy uh, spoke at the American Press Club back in the day, and he was dismissed as crazy. Um, you know, my buddy said, I think he's a little crazy, but that doesn't mean he's wrong. Who was the only honest broker in the baseball steroid era? Who was the only guy that told the truth? Jose Canseco. Who did we say was crazy? for saying all those things. When Jose said, everybody's doing it. Mark McGuire shooting up in the bathroom. Sammy Sosa. I mean, everybody's doing it. Major League Baseball. You know how Jose Canseco is. He's a little crazy. I mean, he says these crazy things for attention at times. And who was the only honest guy in the baseball steroid era? Everybody else lied except Jose Canseco. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I'm, I'm kind of mad at myself for not thinking that through. When when I first saw the the, the teaser went out. Now. Well, 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 the teaser went out with Tucker Carlson and him interviewing that guy. Okay. And it had the little sound bites and, I, and pretty salacious stuff, you know. And I said, well, gosh, why is it's kind of tabloidy? Why is Tucker going that way? Well, is this going to affect his credibility? And then we talked about it the next morning. And when you talked about, well, there's a strategy possibly in play here, you know, to where, okay, you guys are doing this. We're ready to fight, and and he's our loudest mouth, I guess, and it makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, I'm just I mad at myself for not thinking of and, that. And I could be wrong. I mean, I could be wrong. No, so, it makes too much sense. Well, I mean, I think what Tucker's done is said, and we knew that if anybody on our side initiated, it would be Tucker. I mean, I think Tucker's proven himself to be the most provocative, the most controversial, embracing some of this outsiderism, so to speak. Um, and I think once they indicted Trump in Atlanta on RICO charges, somebody on our side, I've used the analogy, um, I walk into a bar, and I'm not there to fight. Man, I'm a peaceful man. I want a beer. I want to watch a ball game. But there's a guy at the other end of the bar, just, I mean, he's hell-bent. He's going to fight me. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, I could leave, but I'm not leaving because that's a little bit cowardly and I'm stubborn and hard-headed and I'm rural. Um, you know, as rural boys are. Um, so I'm sitting there and I'm not going to, there's just, he's not going to make me leave the bar. So I'm sitting there watching the ball game, drinking a beer. He's antagonizing, 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 provoking, provoking, provoking. And he's got on his hand a brass knuckle. I mean, it's obvious he's got a brass knuckle on his hand and just beside my beer is a brass knuckle. And there comes a point in that interaction that it's obvious he's going to hit me with that brass knuckle. Do I put the brass knuckle on my hand or not? You see where I'm headed? Mm -hmm. I mean, if the inevitable outcome is going to be a confrontation and this guy has a brass knuckle on his hand, am I a fool 
to not put the brass knuckle on my hand. Of course I am. And, and I think that's what Tucker said. I think the indictment of Trump in Atlanta on RICO charges was the brass knuckle moment. And I think Tucker waited for somebody on our side, and they, I mean, kind of ex- expecting them not to do it. And that's when he said, hey, what is the craziest story out there? Believable or not, what, what is the craziest story out there? Well, there was this guy, th- th- this gay white man that said in 1999, he went to a graduation of a family member at a military academy, rented a limousine, was looking for a good time, and Barack Obama and he hooked up at the back of a limousine, had crack-induced or drug-induced. I mean, in the interview, I watched it. He says, I snorted it. Uh, Barack smoked it. He had a pipe in his pocket. He smoked it. I began rubbing his leg, and it went where I expected it to go or where I anticipated it to go. I mean, it gets salacious, to use Rev's word, and I don't have any idea. I mean, my buddy yesterday, do you believe this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I don't think Tucker cares if it's believable or not. I think once the, I don't know, once the game changed and the way the game has changed and the Democrats are comfortable not indicting the former president once, twice, three times a lady, but four times. See all these song references, three times a lady, uh, take a load off Fanny. And they're kind of consistently linked with one another. It would be, it would be better if take a load off Fanny was the three times a lady indictment, but she's four times, right? She's the fourth indictment. Of the better bunch. song title. And, and, and I'll tell you this, but between me and you and the fans, I don't care if it's true or not. I'm glad that the largest conservative voice in America gave that guy medium. He may be the biggest liar there is in the history of mankind. I don't care. I, I'm tired of playing the game without putting the brass knuckles on. I'm tired of getting beat in the fight without putting the brass knuckles on. It's time for us to watch them squirm. And I mean, they're squirming. I mean, they're defending now. Politico had an article. I mean, this is a new low for Tucker. I mean, he, the little bit of credibility he had, he lost. I don't know. I mean, it's 5 million views, 6 million views. You tell me how much credibility Tucker has. Uh, how much credibility. Does Tucker have less than MSNBC? Does Tucker have less than CNN? I mean, why are more people watching Tucker on Twitter than CNN, MSNBC, and Fox combined? You answer that question. And, and once again, you know, the, the accuracy and, and, you know, authenticity of the story. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I have any idea. I guess the only people that will know are Barack Obama and that dude. Now, I'll, I'll say this. It gets a little crazier. There was a choir, a music director in Jeremiah Wright's truck. I think it's Donnie Young. Last name's Young. Not sure about the first name. But, I mean, he's killed. And, and you know how Tucker is there. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what do you mean he was killed? Yeah, he was gunned down. No forceful, in, no forced entry, um, and he was openly gay. And he's the one that basically warned um, Skinner about, you know, you better be careful. I mean, you just better be. But I, once again, I don't know if the guy's telling the truth or not. And to be honest with you, as shallow and and juvenile as this sound, I don't care if he is or not. I'm tired of one side doing whatever it takes to win and the other side not especially when I'm on the side that chooses not to. I understand integrity and virtue and honor. I mean, I'd love to see American politics return to integrity, virtue, and honor. But right now, one side has a brass knuckle on, and the other's deciding whether to put theirs on or not. And Tucker said, yeah, I mean, I'll put it on. What is the craziest, most scandalous story out there 
on the American political left. Especially if you believe that Barack Obama is running things in the country from behind the scenes. Well, I, mean, Rev, I, had someone, I had someone ask me this week, why aren't you talking about Hunter and Joe Biden? There's no stories out there. But if it, Fox covers it the best they can, and, and if, if James Comer and Jim Jordan aren't talking about it, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's dead, it's radio silence. I mean, there's nothing out there. So somebody, you need to spend more time talking about Hunter and Joe Biden. I don't have anything to report. I mean, the mainstream media has decided once again, uh, and, I, and I wrote this down yesterday, uh, the day before, and, and I think it's, it's, it's worthy of repeating. When, when I spoke at the Republican Party in Sumter last night, the one thing I encouraged was United. I mean, I said, guys, at some point in time, I mean, if, if this group is reflective of the Republican base, 60% of you are for Trump. 40% of you are for somebody else. One of 10 of you ain't voting for Trump under any condition, circumstance. And if that many people, I mean, if I said, hey, I mean, if it were a, a secret ballot, Trump wins that room probably, I mean, it'd be a higher percentage. It'd probably be 75%. But 2 or 3% of that room, uh, probably 3 or 4% aren't voting for Trump under any circumstance. When I say unite, I'm talking about uniting the party. I don't have any interest in uniting the country. Because we're not talking about infrastructure. We're not talking about education. We had a legitimate debate about high-speed internet and what the government should or should not do. We had a lot of different opinions. We had a libertarian view. We had a more um, compassionate view. We had a little more entangled view. We had a little more conflicted view. That's politics. Josh has an opinion. Dave has an opinion. I have an opinion. I don't run the government. Josh doesn't run the government. Dave doesn't run the government. We're all part of running the government. So in, in its best day, representative republics compromise. They moderate. They temper. They do the best they can to move a nation forward. And that's fine when we're talking about education, infrastructure, taxation, marginal tax rates. I'm all about having that debate. And I'm all about uniting the country behind some of those very serious issues that government is constitutionally responsible for. But when one side provides, when one side decides that the, the law and government are to be used to hide and protect corruption from one side and overcharge and severely punish, and in some cases manufacture stories about one side, I don't know how you compromise there. I don't know how you get not behind that. But because, once again, we're not talking about infrastructure spending or education spending. We're talking about putting people in prison. And uh, Joe Biden or Hunter Biden, they began the investigation of Hunter Biden in June of 2018. Hunter Biden is yet to be indicted of a single crime. We know he's guilty of crimes. I mean, there are paper trails about his not registering as a foreign uh, lobbyist. Uh, Manafort went to jail for that pretty quickly. I think they stormed his home in the middle of the morning, uh, put a gun to him and his wife because he didn't lobby as a foreign agent. Um, we know that Hunter Biden was a foreign lobbyist and didn't register. We know that Hunter Biden lied on an application to uh, obtain a firearm. We know that. But five years down the road, he's not been indicted. And I'm telling you guys, as, as Jay Jordan and Philip Lowe said last week, if you don't take that personal, you, you don't have any, I mean, I, I'm telling you, that, that's a listless opinion to have. That's got to be taken very personal. We're not talking about education, infrastructure, taxation. We're talking about weaponizing the DOJ. 
the people who have the power to put people under indictment and in prison for the rest of their lives if they choose to. And I have no interest in uniting on that front. I have all the interest in the world in helping the Republican Party unite so we can pardon all these people who have been overcharged. Should someone on January 6th be charged with a crime? Yes, absolutely. Trespassing, um, you know, vagrancy, vandalism, uh, breaking and entering. I mean, there, there are a myriad of charges that those people who misbehaved are guilty of. But, but consp- sedition and, and insurrection and 22 years in prison? Really? I mean, that's where we are. And I would encourage whomever, uh, you know, wins the presidency, if they are a Republican, to revisit some of those charges. Somebody said, would you agree to pardon everybody that was involved in January 6th? No, I'm not pardoning everybody because I think there's some people that were guilty of, of being criminals. And, and I think those people need to be held accountable. But, but a year in jail with no representation, a sentence of 22 years, I've got no interest in uniting. And I think what Tucker did was drop the gauntlet. And I would expect Tucker to find an even more provocative story next week and the week after and the week after. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Florence, good morning. Uh, yeah, guys. You know, uh, I think nobody really thinks that uh, Joe Biden is an intellectual powerhouse. But, you know, to survive in that swamp for 40 years, he, he must have some way of operating. And uh, my suspicion is it's, it's kind of a sleazy way of operating. And I've often wondered how Barack Obama being in charge of the the White House, how he could not know what Joe Biden and and Hunter Biden was doing. And so uh, he had to be pretty, pretty unaware or or pretty, uh, I guess, uh, just uninterested. But uh, Barack is no dummy, but he was a relatively newcomer to, to politics. So he might have relied on on some of Biden's contacts and, you know, skeletons in the closet. But um, to me, if if Joe Biden had something on Obama, whether it was this incident or something else, that would explain how the Bidens got away with this stuff without Obama, you know, figuring it would damage his own presidency. So, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and I think, you know, they should be investigating you know, what, why Barack Obama allowed some of this stuff to go on under under his watch. So uh, that that's just kind of explains what I've been wondering all these all these weeks and months. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. You got, you got really three central figures to modern or recent. I'd be in for modern. Uh, Kennedy would be a modern Republican Democrat. But, I mean, I'm talking about recent Democrats that matter. You've got the Clintons, and you got to say the plural, the Clintons. You've got Obama, and you've got Joe Biden. And, and out of those three, I mean, Obama had a brand. Obama knew that how unique and different he was. And, it, you know, exceptionally um, able he would be to cash in on life after the presidency. I mean, I remember having a debate. Uh, this would have been in 20. Obama got elected in 08 and then again in 12, right? So, so in 2010, when I get elected lieutenant governor, I remember speaking at a roundtable. And, and I said, and, you know, I mean, it's not a – it's not a uh, Republican event. It was kind of, um, might have been like a rotary or something to that effect. But it was a roundtable, a little business luncheon. And I think I may have said something to the effect of there is nobody with as much earning power post-presidency as Barack Obama. I mean, he's going to be a rock star. He's kind of a rock star president. 
and he's going to be a rock star post-president. I mean, he's going to write books and, and give speeches and just, just be kind of iconic in that way. He's going to be, you know, a, a, a rock star former president, and he's going to make a lot of money. So, so that was my categorization of, of Obama. Now, the Clintons were political prostitutes. I mean, how do we know that? How do we know the Clintons were political prostitutes? Well, I mean, they, they, they got, built a foundation and then got rich. <laughs> I mean, the most exceptional businessmen in America couldn't figure that out. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Did Microsoft with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation come first? Did Ford Motor Company, the Henry Ford Foundation, come first? I mean, the Clintons outsmarted the Gates and Henry Ford by starting a foundation and then getting wealthy. So they're political prostitutes. And then you've got the Bidens. And I think the caller's on to something. Nobody's ever accused Joe nor Hunter of being a rocket scientist. I mean, you, you could accuse Barack Obama of a lot of things. Dumb ain't one of them. You could accuse the Clintons of a lot of things. Dumb ain't one of them. When you're dumb and seek power and prosperity, you got to be a thug. You got to be a heavy. And I think that's what they are. They're not political prostitutes. They're not a brand. They're political thugs. And they've operated in that world for really all of Joe Biden's adult life. They've lied. They've cheated. They've stolen. They've done all of these things. And, and now, because Trump's the primary opponent, they're just going to cover it up. The media is going to choose not. I want to do stories about Hunter and Joe Biden. There are none to be done. There is nothing in the New York Times, nothing in the Wall Street Journal, nothing in the Washington Post, nothing on the CBS, ABC, NBC Evening News. They're just not reporting on this. But by God, if you want a story about Trump and one of his problems, I mean that there's a um, there's a plethora of stories <laughs> out there the fold. Yeah, yeah. above the fold, day after day after day. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven takes Mondays to make. Well, it takes Tuesdays to make Fridays. This week, um, this week we have the uh, the entire delegate. Well, not the entire delegation. The uh, the three that come. And I want to say this. Um, I mean, they, these guys aren't the only members of the delegation. They're the only members of the delegation that have been willing to come into the torture chamber that is Wake Up Carolina <laughs> Friday morning after Friday morning after Friday morning. Um, last week, Low caught us all off guard by fundraising for Donald Trump, spontaneous, <laughs> spontaneous fundraising uh, for, for Donald Trump. I, I do want it now that we've got real important people with enormous power and sway over our state. I've held this idea. You ready, Rev? I've oh, held okay. this idea all week. So you're frustrated with ESPN. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're an affiliate. Mm-hmm. We're frustrated. Mm-hmm. They, uh, it's all about the 9 or 10 or 11 major markets in America. Um, they believe that 80% of their listenership are living in urban areas, more interested in the NFL and NBA than they are college sports. Frustrates Rev and I. Um, they've not, I don't put words in Rev's mouth. Rev is a little bothered by their commitment to radio. Is that fair? Well, in the the whole ESPN they, they play, brand they has been going Dan through. Pack with somebody we don't know. Right. Colin Coward with somebody we don't know. And you wonder if they've had a focus on the ESPN radio product as much as we would like them to. Well, we think they have gone woke and uh, well, and owned by Disney. That too. Owned by Disney. So here's my here's my argument now, and, and I need these three powerful men to help me accomplish <laughs> this. I believe that the Big Ten and SEC should buy ESPN. Hmm. See, they look at me like, he might not be too crazy. I mean, I mean, they're they're the, the the power brokers in college athletics, right? I mean, we agree. I'm sorry, Clemson. I mean, you you'll get here in just a second. Um, you'll get invited to the dance. But I think the two elite conferences in college athletics need to buy ESPN 
and recreate it as what it was intended to be, and that is a focus on sports. And forget politics. Forget what Disney would like to see happen in the world. And 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 I think if the Big Ten and SEC, I mean, they could cut their own TV deals. They'd kind of pay themselves in, in some of this revenue generating and sharing. And um and they you know they're I mean they're getting big enough to say we dominate college athletics. I mean you still got these other conferences that that matter to some degree. We, we need to figure out a way to get Clemson in the fold, North Carolina in the fold. Um, give me another school out there, not of the Big Ten or SEC, that we need to be a part of this conglomerate. Florida State. No, Florida State. There you go. Miami. I mean, Miami, Miami. would be one of the yep. one of the teams that needs to be in this. There's there's a handful of other teams, but but I think that um, and I mean I, I just think you know that that powerful people such as yourselves should be able to get that ball rolling. I mean I'm the idea guy, Lou. I mean <laughs> I mean you came up with the idea to raise money for Trump, and 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 we helped. Uh, now I'm coming up with the idea. That that we need to form a, a consortium. That's a fancy word. Whoa. And um and 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 you know put together a team and get all the members of the Big Ten, all the members of the SEC together by ESPN, and then we'll we'll invite Clemson. I mean they got to pay a little entry fee, but we'll invite Clemson, North Carolina, some of these some of these other schools. L- L- you want to you want to jump in here? Well, I mean, what do you need besides the SEC network? I mean, we don't need the other stuff. But 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 no, I, I hear you, yeah. and I, I understand that. And the SEC network has been profitable, and it's made a lot of money for uh, for South Carolina. I just I'm frustrated with where college athletics appears to be headed. I mean, it's it's kind of um, can I? It's it's half pregnant with professionalism. Is that fair, Jordan? It is. And let me back up as someone who absolutely loves sports, and I mean, it's a part of you know growing up. You know, I I can remember waking up in the mornings and eating cereal watching ESPN Sports Center, you know, and, and going sports. and going to bed the night before watching Sports Center. So I mean, the in my mind and I guess I justify this in some sense that I I, I picture ESPN as a very unwilling uh captive of Disney and they're they're tied up in the basement uh, and in their heart they're just desperate to get out of that basement and do what they've always what they have done and what they're intended to do which is focus on sports. Um, I guess I do have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Still, I'm still mad at the the Disney folks for I feel like they ripped me off all those years when my kids were younger and I, you know, bought into the concept that I was a bad parent if I didn't, you know, drive seven hours down there and come home broke like everybody it's else. Been having inheritance, it, it, exactly, yeah. and then crawl out of there. Um, so anything that can get ESPN away from the clutches. Of, of their captives, uh, D- Disney, I'd be absolutely in favor of. And, and Mike, you rock at the game cock attire here this morning. You well, got to be a, a, a you got to be in favor of this. You talk about frustration, and nothing frustrated me like the offensive line of the Gamecocks. So I, I know frustration. I, you I been Spencer Rattler. Could've I, been, could've, it could have been worse, but I look like I'm 65 years old right now after watching that game. But I, you talk about growing up in the ESPN and how their brand used to be so special as sports. And Sharice almost suffocated me the number of times I would call her. Early on in our marriage, and I would say, Sharice, and she'd be like, yeah, real serious. When I get home tonight, we could go all the way. She's like, if you do that again, I'm going to suffocate you. Yeah, But those were good days, man. A little Chris Berman on there. Sheesh. They kind of created the convergence of sports and entertainment. Yeah. I mean, they really, I mean, I'm not saying they're solely responsible What does ESPN stand yeah, for? Yeah, Rumbling, stumbling, yeah. bumbling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could, I mean, didn't Dan Patrick refer to ESPN as the mothership? But Dan Patrick kind of saw that coming when Disney bought it. I mean, Patrick said, eh, things are going to change. I mean, Disney buys you, they own you, and they have an objective and an agenda that is inconsistent with just uh, providing sports. So anyway, uh, we, we got that dealt with. 
I'm sure that'll be filed legislation <laughs> later this year. Um, the South Carolina Florence delegation um, takes the lead in the SEC and Big Ten buying buying Disney. I want to I want to give you some numbers, and you guys chew on these numbers. This is not about Columbia. This is about national politics. I spoke last night to the Sumter GOP, and I'm glad I don't run for office anymore because it's just it's more liberating speaking to a GOP group as a non-office holder and somebody who doesn't run for re-election every two or four years than it is somebody who runs his mouth on the radio. But, um, but, but, but Jay, I'll start with you. The debate is not about uniting the country. I mean, obviously, that is a grandiose vision. Um, it's honorable. It's virtuous. But, but I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's highly unlikely today. But what we do have to do is unite our party. I mean, I, I was talking about the factions within that room if, if the room reflects the Republican base, the Republican voter, 60% of those people would vote for Trump. Probably a little higher percentage on a Thursday night, you know, at a, at a GOP gathering. But in theory, 60%, you, you got 12 or 13 DeSantis voters. You got eight or nine uh, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley here, there, or yonder. But somewhere in that room was about 6% of the people who just, under any circumstance, aren't voting for Donald Trump. What advice would you give? I mean, if you were not Representative Jordan, but Chairman Jordan of the Republican Party, how do we begin not uniting the country, but uniting the party? In other words, the 30% who are going to vote for Trump and nobody else, the 9 or 10% who aren't going to vote for Trump under any circumstance. I think some of those people are lying. I mean, I don't think they'll stick to their guns, but there is a reconciliation that has to take place if we win the presidency in 2024. So I start with doing some of the things we're doing, we, we do on here, um, reminding those folks of, number one, what happens when we don't all stick together on the other end of this process. Uh, look at the issues we're dealing with from the national government. You know, look at the, the Biden administration's policies, everything from economics and immigration and crime, you know, you, you, you name it, you tell, show me, you know, it'd be easier for you to show me a success of the Biden administration than for me to point out the failures. Uh, there's just, there's just so few and so many on the other side. So I'd start with reminding, uh, first and foremost of what happens when we don't all stick together. Exhibit A is what we've been living through the last uh, several years. And do we want to sign up to do that again? And if we do sign up to do that again, where does it go from here? How, how, you know, someone says it can't get any worse. It can always get worse. And then I would argue it can absolutely get worse again. So this is first and foremost. And I, I think the other thing, thing that will happen, I would hope, you know, in 16, um, the, the, the primary process kind of got off the rails and feelings got hurt with a lot of the candidates. And they were just were unable to, whether it be the Bush crowd or others, were unable to put aside their personal feelings and for the good of the party and the good of the nation, heal um, – it was a difficult process that barely happened, and we, it did happen. But then in 20, there was still a lot of scar tissue that it didn't occur. So I would say if we don't have it, look at what we're living through now. Philip, You know, the analogy would be a football game. You have two teams on the field. The government is the referees, and we're playing to win. One team's fighting the other team. And sometimes the ref seems like they're leaning towards one. Right now it seems like the government's leaning towards the other team. We've got to find a way to stick together. And we've said that over and over. You can't be a never-Trumper because the alternative is you're on the other team. 
Yeah, I don't have any other way of saying it. You have you ever get... seen anything like this, Philip? I mean, you've been in it longer than these other two guys. Have you ever seen a, a division within the party that could potentially cost it uh, an election, as big as the presidency? Was it Ross Perot kind of pulled out? I think well, that's how we got Clinton, wasn't it? Correct. So, I mean, yeah, well, I guess we've seen it actually one time work like that. I, we're not necessarily set up for that right now. I don't, I don't see a third party really coming out. Uh, there, there could be a candidate that steals votes, and it wouldn't take but just a few, one way or the other, to, to pull a state or, or to switch it. So I think we're in for the ugliest war we've ever seen. Mike, your natural personality is to be positive and uniting. I mean, it is. I mean, I know you well enough to say that about you. But, but you know, I don't know how you unite with a side of a political party that is as you and I would consider extreme. I guess they consider us extreme to some degree. But we can work on uniting within. I mean, th- there can be a coming to Jesus of the never Trumpers, the always Trumpers, and those in between. Yeah, and your question is, is obviously so relevant because of the chasm within the party. But I also do think we need to not take our eye off the ball that there are, are moderates out there who might not even define themselves as GOP, as Republicans right now. We need to try to grow the fold with them too. I mean, it's it may be in its purest sense, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but instead of our our politics kind of deriving our faith, and we put so much emphasis on a person or on a stigma of a person, our faith needs to drive our politics. And that means we need to reach out to those who are, who are MAGA, those who are not MAGA, never Trumpers, those who are moderates and say, like, this is what's at stake. If this is what your faith is, then the, the vote you're going to take is going to have an, an impact on our, our country, on our children, on your grandchildren. I mentioned yesterday at, at that Children's Commission meeting, um, and I again, it's, it's public testimony, so I'm not speaking out of school. The, the head of the South Carolina ACLU came and he spoke, and he identifies that he and him, and it the beginning of a speech, he says, I was a woman, a girl trapped in a boy's body. And I've always known it. I had to leave the state to get my gender reassignment surgery, the hormones, the full beard, the mustache. I mean, it. no one in that room knew. It was an audible gasp. And his position is that South Carolina is an intolerant, bigoted state because we don't think that that's normal and acceptable. And I think if the, there's a lot of folks within the Republican Party and even outside of the Republican Party, if we looked at our faith, we're not bigoted or intolerant, but we don't agree that you can feel that way, but your DNA says something different. And a blood test would show, sir, you're not a man. You're still a woman. Now, you've got challenges going on, but you're a woman. That didn't make us wrong. So if our faith drove our politics, I think we'd be more vocal about things like that, about we are not to be indebted. We shouldn't continue to go into debt. We should be good stewards. There's a lot we should do. Jay, I want to I start with you. And it's unfair, but I, I do it every time. Um, I'm aware. <laughs> I mean, it is unfair, but I know it's unfair, but this is kind of in your wheelhouse uh, because you're an attorney and you're a legislator and we're, we're at a, a very important moment. In my, I mean, I, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, a lot of these things I do is for entertainment purposes only, but this is not. I mean, I made some notes here, um, and I'll admit that. I mean, you know, we're in the entertainment business. We're accusing ESPN of selling their soul, but we sold ours pretty much to entertainment as well. But we, we're talking about uniting the country. And I think if we were, you, you and I have Democrat friends. Philip and I have Democrat friends. Mike and I have Democrat friends. And I respect their opinions when it comes to what they believe the marginal tax rate should be, how much money they believe we should fund education. We did a, a, about an hour's worth of radio this morning on 
rural broadband. I mean, there's going to be some disagreement, but but that's policy oriented. But but we and I wrote this down. This is kind of my my terminology of where we are, and I'm going to get your take on it. When law and government are used to hide and protect the corruption of one side, manufacturing severely punish the other side. How do you reconcile that? I mean, you're an attorney, and you've made it known that one of the scariest propositions in America today is a willingness for politically motivated people to incarcerate other people because of their political disagreements. No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Look, we can we can debate and we can um, compromise and we can work through a lot of the issues of the day from how we're going to spend money for roads and education and broadband and going and on down that list. But then there come some things that are really, truly um, not just lines in the sand. They're, they're not just ditches in the sand. They're chasms between um, individuals involved, individuals that are sometimes neighbors and sometimes they're, sometimes they're across the street. Sometimes they're across the country. Sometimes they're arguing up in DC. Um, but you just gave, or Mike gave a great example. We're not going to agree. There's no, there's no compromise. There's no, um, there's no meeting point on gender confusion and, and changing gender and things like that. You either believe that's not right or you believe differently than that. Um, and then you come to this issue we talked a lot about last week um, where you're willing to manipulate, for instance, like we're seeing now, the justice process, the justice system for political gain. Um, you've crossed a line that is unrepairable, in my opinion, at that point. Um, you know, go back to something we were talking about last week again. It seems like the ball, the, 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 not the goalpost, but it seems like the, the process keeps getting worse and worse. You know, we were all shocked um, the morning after you wake up and blue lights are outside of a former president's house and they're kicking a door in, you know, going in with a search warrant. That's crazy. They, you know, and if they'll do that to him, who else will they do that to? And now it keeps escalating. And then they try and hide their own problems by sneaking past a plea agreement on on Hunter Biden on the one hand, while they're at the same time trying to you know, provide all these indictments across the nation with timing that is absolutely perfect to wreck someone's presidential race in every way, shape, or form. And, you know, p people aren't up in arms. It, it amazes me in some sense. Philip, you said last week it's personal with you. It's become personal with you. Do you conduct yourself different politically? I mean, is there, is there have there been adjustments you've made in how you deal with, let's say, the other side? You know, there, there are things you can compromise on. There are things you can't. And I don't think like a liberal. I can't even get my head to understand how they wake up and think like they do. So there's just a lot of things that I cannot compromise. I can't find a way to work with them. We're at war, and, and it, I don't know, it feels like a war of good and evil almost. And that's, that's a weird thing to say because I don't think all Democrats are evil. I think most of their agendas are, are leading this nation down a bad path, and, and I don't like where it's going financially and socially. Uh, so if those are the two big parts of government, then it's about power. We have to maintain power. Whoever gets power is going to change this country. And if they've got it, they're going to change it for the worse. And, Mike, to, to, to me, it's I mean, to Jay's Phyllis, I mean, there's a shot across the bow that's different than the other shots across the bow, and that is when you're willing to potentially incarcerate a former president, current front runner uh, of the party all of us share a loyalty to, I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's quite the game changer. Yeah, it does show us what's at stake right now. And 
what they're what the other side is prepared to do to maintain power. It is unlike any time I've ever seen. But again, I know uh, there's going to be those who say like, all right, we, we need to act more, and, and acting is important. But I'll be a broken record on it, Ken. We do need to pray too. We need to pray for hearts to be changed, for hearts to be softened, and for the folks who to who have a faith who were raised better to to be vocal about it, but to also vote their faith. And the doesn't matter if you don't like Donald Trump. If he's the nominee and you can think he's one of the most abhorrent people you know. And if that's the case, so be it. But if your faith drives your politics, then could you ever vote for a Democrat who says we should be able to kill babies? Yeah, youth should be able to have gender reassignment surgery because they feel like they're in a different body, that we should go into debt as much as possible, that we should be sending our aid to other nations while not taking care of issues at home. Like There's some certain tenets of our faith that should drive our politics, and I don't think that allows margin to say, I think Biden is the right guy. Who could say that when you look at his politics? Well, explain. We'll take a break and a call. We'll get there as soon as we pay some bills. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937. Got a couple of callers. Let's get to the phone. Robert in Florence. Good morning. You are on with the delegation. Good morning, gentlemen and ladies, if there are there. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Good morning. How are you? You're on the air. We're doing very well. Thank you. I'm calling to say, hey, I'm enjoying the topics that you guys are talking about right now. The ideas really, truly need to be discussed. I couldn't be more happy to hear people bringing these things to the eyes of everyone that needs to hear these things. Yes, everything is definitely turning evil. <laughs> um Ah, Lord, where do I begin with all these things that we've already you've already discussed? Uh, gender, um, what you born with? How do you get to the bathroom? <laughs> Very simple. That should be, should be a no discussion. God, absolutely. You think we all came here by accident? Please, people, that's too many coincidences. Third, murder and thugs and the issues with society and the ideas need to be brought to everyone's attention and they all need to recognize the fact that we need to get back to our true roots. What this country was based on, in my opinion. Um, if anyone's up for discussion with that, I'm, I'm in. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate that. Uh, interesting topic. Some of the things we um, touched on earlier. I don't think there was a question in there. Let's go to the phone. Brian in Florence. Hey, Brian, you're on with the delegation. Good morning, guys. I've been uh, questioning as a lifelong Republican, why on earth the Republicans in, in Congress are waiting so long to actually file impeachment charges or whatever it may be after Biden right now. And after giving it a lot of thought, I've kind of realized that maybe they're not filing those charges because they want him to be the opponent in the election. And if, in fact, uh, he happens to squeak out of victory again, they'll have that ammunition to uh, potentially get rid of him after the election's over. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. He's speaking Lowe's language. Lowe has <laughs> always said, do not figure out a way to get ballot off, uh, Biden off the ballot. That's the guy we want to run against. Yeah, weaken him all you want. Just don't don't remove him. Let them remove him. Then they can have their chaos. But if we remove him, they unite. They, whoever they put up next, You know, they unite with them because they hate us then. Is, is that, I'll give you an example. So, I mean, I, I told you guys, I, I looked at the betting odds this morning in London Biden's at plus 190. Plus 190 means you put $100 down, you win $190. If you put $100 on Trump, you win 240 
Uh, if you put, guess who's third? I mean, I, I, just take a guess. I mean, as the odds makers, forget the polls for a second. These are the odds makers. Hey, guess who's third? Ramaswamy. DeSantis. Gavin Newsom. Mm. That's scary. At plus 1,600. DeSantis plus 2,000. Ramaswamy and RFK Jr. are at 2,500. So you got Biden the favorite at plus 190. Trump second at plus 240. Newsom third at plus 1,600. There's somebody out there that believes eventually the Democrats will have to deal uh, with a way to get Biden off the uh, off the ticket. But Lowe's always said, let them do it. I mean, if they choose to do it, let them do it instead of us trying to. And I guess an impeachment inquiry would eventually lead to maybe a replacing of Biden as their nominee. Let's go to the phone. Billy and Florence, how you are on with the delegation. Hello. Good morning, guys. Great show, as always. Love the topics. Uh, but since the delegate's here, and uh, I'd like to talk a bit maybe about the local stuff and uh, about the roads. And I just read about the um, I-95 fixing to start to widen, uh, I believe it's eight or ten miles um, from the Georgia line up. But have we ever thought, and, and we've raised the gas taxes and the roads still is, is just pitiful here in South Carolina. And uh, I travel all over the state. But I was just wondering, because of uh, we do have a, a, a toll road up on uh, in the Greenville area up there that nobody ever really uses, but have we thought about using a, a toll road between 95, uh, you know, the north end and the south end, um, and, and, and generate some revenue there on the shows? And uh, I appreciate it. Great topic. Um, and love the show. And uh, I'll take it off later. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I've got a theory. And, and I, you know, I don't vote on this. I don't, you know, vote to raise taxes or, or spend money. But South Carolina kicked the can down the road for a long time when it came to infrastructure spending. And I'm talking about recurring money. I mean, you know, there's one time federal money and another time federal money. Um, and I, and I, nobody in this studio wants to raise taxes, but, but the reality is we, we grew enormously. I mean, we had great population advancements, business moved to South Carolina and we neglected for whatever reason. I mean, I get not wanted to raise taxes for whatever reason we neglected to in a recurring way fund the level of infrastructure we needed to accommodate the growth. Is that a fair um, synopsis, Philip. Yeah, that's what happened. We starved the roads to the point they were nothing but potholes, and and we there were forces that wouldn't let us put some of the general fund money into it because I mean the reality is we needed that money in other places too. We had buildings going bad and other infrastructure problems, and and uh, the powers that be kind of forced that down our throats. It's it's a vote you hate, but I mean the reality of two cents going up six years giving us 12, isn't even coming close to overcoming inflation. So we're not gaining a lot on roads. I think we did for a little bit when the economy was good and inflation wasn't high, but now it's a that 12 cents is going to be a pittance to try to actually put forward. But, yes, we have put some money aside for widening the first, I think, 35 miles is where it's headed it isn't for today, but 35 miles coming out of Georgia up 95, and there's – Several places we did it, but we have some bridge infrastructure problems at I-95 at Santee and I-95 at the PD River. And those are expensive things which will prevent us from widening because the bridges are what, nine times higher to repair per highway mile than a, than, you know, a regular road. And also we're putting our money to good use and we have tripled the money that is going to our local funds, to our county funds so we're fighting as hard as we can will the general assembly ever consider i mean could they is that a federal deal or not 
a toll. No, they could do it. I mean, it, it's something that is that something that has been like. bandied about. I mean, I understand these discussions preliminary. I mean, they're over a beer and then they end up in a study or think tank. I mean, is that something you guys have talked about at all? It's not been talked about a lot. It's it's not popular. Gotcha, Mike. You want to jump in about the um? I mean, the, the theory that I that, that that makes the most sense to me is we didn't want to raise taxes because we don't want to raise taxes, and we neglected the recurring money necessary to accommodate for all the growth. That was coming to South Carolina. I mean, people can say the General Assembly wastes money. Uh, is government. I mean, government's not going to be effective or as effective in allocating capital, but nobody wanted to raise taxes. Therefore, the roads didn't have recurring revenue. Yeah. You know, even the most staunch, ardent conservative that I talk to when I do our, our town halls, I've never heard anyone say that there is no function of government. I think we can all agree government does have a function. It should be limited, should be small, but infrastructure is part of the function of government. But what I hear people ask for is that it needs to be prioritized, truly based on needs, not on politics. When you're on 95 and you're in North Carolina and you hit our border, you feel a difference. You get to the Georgia border and you feel a difference. And we're a state that we deserve better, that our citizens who pay taxes want prioritization of infrastructure that based on truly the needs. And 995 is a need and I think people want the function of government limited, but focus it and direct it, and, and the roads is part of that. We could do better on the roads. Jay? So when you look back, um, I think everyone, like Mike said, believes in core functions of government and infrastructure is definitely near, if not the top of that list. Um, you know, Philip, great answer as well in the sense of um, our obligations there. Uh, the gas tax was something that nobody really wanted to do, but a lot of people felt had to be done. Um, and we still are in the bottom half of, of states as far as our tax rate um, when it comes to fuel tax. Um, you, we use North Carolina and Georgia as reference points. Uh, if I remember correctly, I'm going off the top of my head here. I think Georgia is – both those states are in the top half, by the way. We're, like I said, we're in the bottom half on fuel tax rates. I think Georgia is maybe eight, six, eight, ten spots ahead of us. Uh, on rankings of meaning they tax higher than we do. And I believe North Carolina is maybe 15 to 20 spots higher than we are when it comes to their tax rates. Um, but there's certain realities. I remember I, when I first got elected, a, a good friend of mine said, you know, let me give you a good idea. And, I, and I'm all for that. You see me, you know, some people say, I don't want to bother you. Give me, give me a good idea. I'm all for good ideas. Um, go to these construction companies and when they're late, charge them a significant penalty. I said, that's great. Well, then I go do a little research, and it turns out when it comes to – back to your point, Ken, about how government, how we operate and how big it is and how unwieldy it is, there are only a handful of road construction companies that are even capable of entering into these large projects with the government. And when you only have a few of them even capable of it, they hold a little bit of the negotiating power in that, and they can just say, no, we're not going to agree to that. And if, if there are six companies that are capable of doing the project in South Carolina and all six of them say, no, we're not going to agree to that, well, what are you going to do, not build the road? So there's a little bit of – there's how my business operates and how your business operates, and then there's how government operates. Yeah. And I hate that. I despise that. But there's a little bit of that baked in the cake. Philip, you want to jump in? You know, is Greenville – or Charleston, or Rock Hill, are they on I-95? They're not, are they? Well, that's where the power is. I mean, it, Columbia, Greenville, those big cities have the most votes, and they kind of control where a lot of the funds go for this. Now, we've put a lot of money aside for some matching funds that we believe will come back around on the federal government side because 
other states didn't have any money to get their match. And so we think we're going to get some more, and maybe we can get more allocated this way. I'll be fighting hard for this region, and we don't have the political might like those others do. And, well, and, and they it, fought for their areas and for the business routes rather than tourists just riding through South Carolina. They were fighting for the local business money to to, to get from Charlotte to Greenville or or Columbia to Charleston or Greenville to Port, you know, down to the port. That's that's kind of what happened. And we've revamped the highway commissioners. I mean, you know, the 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 governor has a lot more influence now over the highway commissioners than ever before. Am I right? I mean, am I, am, am I misunderstanding or misinterpreting what has happened to the highway commission the way it was or the way it is now? So when you talk about prioritizing and efficiency, we did a lot in, in, in conjunction with raising the gas tax years ago. One of the things that got streamlined was instead of the legislature um, choosing the highway commissioners, now that goes through the governor's office. Um, and depends on where you live, you like that. If you're in Greenville, Charleston, Columbia, you like that because governors tend to focus on population centers. If you're in the more rural part of South Carolina, you're not a fan. Very well explained. Let's take a break. We'll be back on the other side. We've got to pick some football games, and we got a call. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. One of the sad parts of getting old is people you grew up with, whether they do it or not. <laughs> I mean, I doubt Buffett knows he grew up with me, but I did with him. Um, and you begin losing those people. You know, it's, uh, I mean, people don't live forever. Nobody does. In 76 it's not old in today's standard, but it's not young by any stretch of the imagination. Gary Wright, I think in recent day, Robbie Robertson. Um, I'm a little nervous. Springsteen's canceling concerts. Uh, mm, you for know, health and, issues. Yeah, for health issues. And I mean, you know, I'm not putting a rumor on the street by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, one of the one of the sad parts of getting older is um, one of the good parts is being a bit unfiltered and not concerned about what other people think about it. You or your opinion, that's a little liberating. Um, but but in reality, these people that, I mean, obviously Jimmy Buffett grew up with a lot of people that he doesn't know, right? And, and you know, the lifestyle was, was uh, kind of a, a Caribbean, coastal, you know, uh, drinking, whatever. I mean, it was, uh, you know, saltwater cowboy yeah. is what I think I heard it laid referred back, to. Very, very, and- very laid back and... Um, just part of our generation. I mean, without a question, a part of our generation. And we're beginning to lose those people far more frequently. And it ain't going to change. I mean, as much as I'd love to say, wow, I mean, you know, uh, it's just not. I mean, as we get older, some of these people uh, that we grew up with are getting older. Uh, they're normally a little older than we are. Glenn Fry kind of started it. I remember the day Glenn Fry died. I'm like, damn, Glenn Fry's not that old. Mm-hmm. But he, but he'd gotten older. You know what I mean? Because I'd gotten older. I mean, I guess I still look at myself as a thirty-year-old man, and I'm certainly not by any uh, stretch. But it was a sad day um, in my neighborhood when Jimmy Buffett passed away, uh, because once again, whether he knew it or not, he grew up with a lot of us. You know, who who kind of um enjoyed the the saltwater cowboy lifestyle, uh, so to speak. Somebody on the phone. Let me ask you this, Rev. Hmm? Um, we talked about Springsteen and the Grateful Dead and Buffett. Uh, you know, they're I mean, they, they, Springsteen's obviously had commercial success. Buffett had commercial success. The Grateful Dead have had commercial success. But it's not Taylor Swift, Michael Jackson, you know, um, the Beatles. I mean, it's a different kind. But they would be not known exclusively as having this loyal 
you know, following for shows and concerts. Who are we leaving out in that? I mean, you, you and I agreed the other day, I think. We debate who the greatest rock and roll band is, and it's either the Beatles or the Stones. I mean, I think Rev and I would kind of agree to that. I mean, there's no doubt when you get to number four or five or six, there's a lot of debate to be had. But but if you're a a rock and roll enthusiast and and you talk, start talking about, hey, who the greatest rock and roll band is ever, I think it's got to be the Beatles or the Stones. But with all due respect to Zeppelin and, you know, and Queen and any of the others, I, I just think those two, one, one because of, how much they did in such a brief period of time, and the other for how long they've been able to be relevant mm-hmm. and stay kind of hanging in there. I think one True. of the members, if I'm not mistaken, Richards or Jagger, 80 years old, and still, you know, uh, running around the country singing, don't can't get no satisfaction, <laughs> and all these other sort. But I'm um, literally running but, around. But the who state. are we leaving out? I mean, is there somebody like Buffett, like the Deadheads, like the East Streeters that um that have this loyal? Uh, following well, and we talk about the Eagles too. I mean, they're still touring. I mean, they got a farewell tour. But I they've guess got one of the best-selling albums of all time, right? Sure. I mean, they, they, they've enjoyed. Oh, let me ask you this: Eagles, Stones, who have had more commercial success? Oh, I think it's the Eagles. Yeah, they're pretty comparable, I mean, I, though. But but I think the Eagles have probably sold more albums, probably. and had more hit records than the Rolling Stones. Yep. But but you would agree the Eagles, as good as they are, it's still the Stones or the Beatles when it comes to all-time rock and roll bands. I would agree. Yeah? And see, that's just kind of a um, – so, yeah, I mean, the Eagles would have a very lo- – I mean, if you do it for as long as those guys do it, there's going to be a loyalty factor. And and you get to a certain point in your career that there's this kind of um, this reminiscent. In other words, as a Springsteen fan, I, I don't know how many times when, when, I, when I talk to people, I say, yeah, but I remember back in 84. You know, I remember back in 79. I remember back. And there's this nostalgia associated. And I don't know how many people put on Facebook or Twitter the number of times they went to see Buffett. I knew people that had to go every year. I mean, if he was anywhere in the Carolinas, it was just something that was on the calendar. Going to do it, no matter what. And he was normally in the Carolinas. I mean, he toured a a lot for a long time. Always um, came through. No question about it. And always, the thing about Buffett, uh, yes, he played Madison Square Garden, and he played uh, Wrigley Field, but his his concerts are largely known. I've always looked at the Stone, Springsteen, U2. I mean, they're huge acts that play in these huge venues. You're not going to get um, you're not going to get Taylor Swift to play in a ten thousand seat venue. I mean, the math just doesn't work, right? I mean, you would agree to that. Right. But Buffett always did. I mean, even to the last day, he was always show up at the New Orleans Jazz Festival. You know where five thousand people would be there, and I, I just think that's so unique. And I, and he's to be commended for becoming uh, a billionaire. Uh, you know, <laughs> let, let's. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> you know, Rev and I agreed. Uh, he knows far more about it than I do, but I know enough to be dangerous. But when Buffett died, I was sad. But then you kind of you know you say, well, I mean, you wonder what he two hundred million, two hundred fifty million, somewhere between seven hundred fifty million and a billion. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn. Um, well, <laughs> okay. and he he sold about twenty million albums over the course of his career and you know he made a lot of money with these concerts you know he toured every year pretty much uh but yeah you'd say eh, probably a mass couple hundred million bucks a wealthy good, man. good, good uh, for him oh yeah a wealthy man <laughs> but <laughs> but but then you begin understanding the brand that was margaritaville and, and he did yeah and, and you and i read some things i mean he said once he understood that there's something here of value 
He's got to be a shrewd business guy. I mean, forget Power looks at 40 and he went to Paris and Margaritaville. I mean, th- this is a this is a business that I have to take very serious. And he did. And um, I mean, he, you know, he, he talks about how committed he was to maintaining the integrity of, of Margaritaville. And that's just, it's kind of a, I, I guess it's a side of Buffett that we never got to see, but was obviously there. And, um, and once again, when, when you, when you wake up on the good side of a billion dollar estate, you've done some things right other than just singing in concert halls. And you're starting to hear some philanthropy stories, things that he didn't want people to know about. And they're free to talk about it now that, that he's passed. And you know that somebody needed something, and he donated to make it happen. Don't put my name on it, but here's yeah. the here's the money to get it done. And you'll hear those stories now. Th- there was a story. Makes you admire me even more. You uh, know? Yeah, there, there was a story about they were this pier was in disrepair, and the state of Florida was going to do away with the pier. And he remembered doing a concert near the pier forty years ago. And he's like, "What do they need? Well, they need two and a half million dollars. Can we do it anonymously? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do it anonymously. And he gave the money to kind of recreate the pier. And now it's there, and uh, nobody knew anything about it. I mean, you know, I, I guess, well, I mean, somebody knew, but uh, it was not to be disclosed. And anyway, they go in, spend $2 million rebuilding a pier because Buffett, it meant something to him. And like Red said, the majority of his philanthropy was done uh, anonymously. Didn't want his name associated with it. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD, good morning. Hey, good morning, man. Uh, i tell you what. Uh... A compliment to you, Ken. Uh, I think I called you for the Jose Canseco I Talk Radio. Uh, when you think of infrastructure, I guess Joe Biden makes you think about bridges and roads. Uh, I don't know, but if I'm uh, if I'm trying to get the return on investment on Zuck Bucks, wow, this virtual infrastructure—that's more like routers and bridges. Dang them. No wonder uh, they did that back in the day, because if you're going to spend how much? $53,000 to get somebody on that, obviously anybody with any sense would figure out a better way to do that. But uh, and, and, and and you guys brought up a good point. I mean, the Democrats are just subsidizing, whatever. They could care less. I mean, they just want to be in power. And the lobbyists for all these companies, they've made their money, so that's, you know, they they've done well, uh, so. But I said Jose Canseco. Hey, how about Dave's Braves? Let's keep up. Let me get some excitement, man. I met a guy last night. He didn't know he ain't kept up with uh, baseball. I said, man, you got this Olson at forty-seven home runs, Acuna. Uh, I guess he could get the forty home runs. Um, Canseco was a forty-forty man. Uh, Cunha could be the forty seventy man, and the, here's something about the Braves. They're gonna, I think they're gonna break the record for most home runs in the season. I think that's pretty interesting. And I know you follow baseball, Ken, and that's why you're not milk toast. Uh, but they got a chance to get four guys over forty home runs in one season, and the Olsen's already done it. Cunha's at, I think he's at thirty four. Riley's at 34, and and Dave's favorite player, the Big Bear, he's at 33. So they got a few games left, and they play got some weak competitions here shortly. So anyway, hopefully they do well. And again, always think about a man, uh, Zuck Bucks. What was his return on investment? This is what it is, my folks.
Have a good weekend. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. I was thinking about this last night coming home from Sumter. Rev has the Braves on 96.3, and I heard Acuna hit his four, uh, 33rd home run. I think somewhere I'm there about. He's got 60, uh, 70 stolen bases or close to close. 70 stolen bases, batting about 335 or so. Here's the argument. I always look deeper than that because I'm so much smarter than the average man. Um, oh, but do no, tell. No, but, but as a sports fan, I am football first. Ah, probably NASCAR second. I mean, it'd be close between NASCAR and baseball. Um, college basketball, I like. The NBA's kind of left me. Uh, I just ain't hip-hop-ish. It doesn't have anything with black and white to me. Uh, I know people would say, I was a white guy. You know, I'm 60-year-old white guys. Or, uh, he, I listen to Merle Haggard, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. You know, but I don't have any problem with, with you know, with, with the urban biases of, of the NBA. It just doesn't interest me much. I mean, it just doesn't. Um, college basketball doesn't interest me a lot, but, but a little bit. But I am very interested in college and pro football. I'm interested because I grew up in the NASCAR. And, and baseball is still something that I enjoy. I mean, I enjoy the TV on a baseball game, whether I'm really listening and watching or not. Something comforting, something soothing about that. Here's my here's my perspective, and here's where I think baseball is unfair and gets it wrong. And if you want to get out of the box and start thinking about disruptions and ways to to change things fundamentally, I think the 162 game baseball season is unfair to a team like Atlanta that starts zero zero in a five or seven game series against a team that they just smoked in the balance of the regular season. I'm almost of the opinion that a team like Atlanta deserves to start a series up 1-0 mm. or every game up one nothing. I mean, there's got to be some. You've earned some advantage. Just, yeah, and, and, and the, I mean, I understand. Well, every, every, I mean, every, see, every basketball has wild cards. Football has wild I get it, but it's not 162 games. I mean, the, the team that wins the 162-game regular season is the best team in baseball, period. Now, a seven-game series, anything can happen. I mean, there's no doubt about it. A five-game series, even more, you know, influenced by the nuances uh, or, you know, uh, the, the finicky nature of baseball. But, but I just believe, I mean, I, I get in, in wild, you don't have to play in the wild card round. You know, you save your pitching, you rest. I just think when a team... And I'm not saying just the Braves. I think the Dodgers, you know, in the last 10 years would have deserved um, some of this. I mean, they just obliterate their division. I mean, they cakewalk. They leave everybody in the dust. Uh, the Braves are, what, 15 games up? But but when they get to that seven-game series, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. And I understand the intrigue of the playoffs, and I understand, you know, the more teams that have a chance to win a championship, the more interesting the game is. We talked about ESPN, entertainment, and all that. I just think as a as a person who grew up, understanding the grind of the regular season, the 162-game regular season, and the Phillies, I mean, I'm just using the hypothetical, the Phillies are 15 games behind the Braves. The Braves and Phillies play in a seven-game playoff series, and they're dead even. And baseball's a finicky game. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. And I just wish there were a way to reward the team that proved themselves to be the best team in all of baseball over 162. I mean, if it weren't for the entertainment factor, I mean, if we were looking for baseball in its purest fashion, we'd have the best team of the National League playing the best team in the American League, and there would be no playoffs. 
you know, they've earned the right in one side of uh, Major League Baseball. You know, the Braves have earned the right or whomever, Dodgers, whomever on the other side. And those two teams tee it up for a maybe a 15-game series. Instead of having all the playoff, maybe play, you know, the first team to win eight in, in a best of 15. I just think it's more reflect the, the inconsistency of baseball, the 162-game regular season, does not reflect in the playoffs. Football and basketball is different. It's not 160. I mean, I understand that there's no way somebody can play 162 football games. You're right. I mean, they couldn't be in the hospital. I mean, there's no, I mean, a human being couldn't take the beating those people take 16, 17 weeks a year. Uh, imagine 162 games. I, I just think, and maybe it's because I'm a Braves fan and, and I'm nervous about starting back over zero or right. zero against. Because you know it as well as I do. I mean, you you know, they're a good baseball team. I think Acuna is one of the most electric players baseball has seen in a long time. But guess what? When they start the first playoff series they play, it's first team to four. I mean, it's, you know, forget the 162 games. Forget the 102 or three or four or five wins that they get over the rate. Forget 40-70. It's 0-0. Zero, zero. And anything can happen in a seven-game series. Let's go to the phone. Someone there? Yep, Mike in Darlington. Hey, Mike. Nah, good morning. I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. Uh, I and uh, I think you're uh, right on the money. I'm, there should be some fair way to reward a, a team that is so obviously good. And but that uh, you know, and there's but there's no accounting for that hot bat or that pitcher that gets right in the zone and stays there. That that kind of thing that that makes baseball exciting to me. But uh, uh, I wanted to go back to Jimmy Buffett. I I used to have a bunch of friends that were parrot heads. They were cult members, pretty much. And uh, <laughs> I never I I never did go to a concert, and I kind of regret that. I almost went a couple of times, but it seemed like work or something interfered with it. And uh, but uh, Jimmy Buffett did a lot of things. I think raising the awareness of uh, Alzheimer's and uh, and uh, uh, the problems with the aging, uh, 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 aging and uh, dementia that comes along. And I think he didn't really get credit for that because he really did uh, help raise awareness when it wasn't like a go-to uh, uh, explanation of things. And he never, I, I don't think he got as much credit as he probably deserved for that. And, but uh, the thing that amazes me is that he accumulated a billion dollars on that Barger Vitaville uh, brand. And uh, I can understand it. I had some Barger Vitaville uh, shoes and uh, flip-flops at one time. But uh, that that's just not I, I, he was a very enjoyable performer, and I don't know how many times I've listened to that when I was down at the beach or uh, on the way to the beach or back from the beach. It was just, he was just a, uh, had a great musical talent. And a part of your life. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. I, I would encourage anybody out there, uh, I mean, if you share my, uh, my, my musical taste, I mean, everybody has different musical tastes, but if you share mine, there's a CMT Crossroads episode uh, on the internet that features Jimmy Buffett and the Zach Brown band. It's worth your time. I mean, it's, it's absolutely worth your time to watch the Zach Brown band and Jimmy Buffett perform a series of songs. Hey, we've got a chance to give talking about music. Mm -hmm. We've got a concert here locally. 
we got a chance to give you uh, some of our listeners, reward you for being loyal listeners and um, kind of a ticket giveaway. Rev's the best I've ever known at this. Well, the only one I've ever known that does this. So, Rev, have at it. <laughs> well, before the end of the show, uh, we will give away uh, a set of tickets and VIP tickets and include as a, a meet and greet with one of the artists for the big Line Drive concert series, which happens tomorrow in Florence at Carolina Bank Field and features Jeb Mackband, who's a, a local sensation, right? Been on the show with us a few times. Uh, George Burge, and the headliner is David Lee Murphy. Had some country hits back in the day. So... It is coming up tomorrow, and we're going to give away a set of regular tickets and VIP tickets here for the end of the show. So how are we doing the giveaway? Have you figured that out? How do you, how do you want to do it? You, you know, you're the boss here now. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, the guy that, that runs his mouth about politics, but it comes to the, um, the, the formatics of radio, I defer to you. Okay, so let's just take a caller now. Let's just go ahead and let, let Josh answer the call. We'll take okay. caller number five. So take caller number five. The number is 843-661-0937, 843-661-0937. Caller number five starting right now. Uh, he'll count them out. If you're number five, you'll win the set of tickets and the VIP passes as well. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. We have a winner. Yes, we do. Sean Cottrell, thank you for being caller number five, and you win those tickets for the Line Drive Concert Series. It is happening tomorrow in Florence at the Carolina Bank Field, and that's where the Florence Flamingos play. And uh, this Line Drive Concert Series is a partnership with the City of Florence and the Florence Flamingos. Jeb Mackband, George Burge, and David Lee Murphy will be uh, on the bill tomorrow at the Line Drive Concert Series. And it looks like it's about 5.30 tomorrow afternoon. Tickets available, by the way. Uh, the Where you can go to buy your tickets is Flow Town Rec. That's Flow, F-L-O, Town, T-O-W-N, Rec, R-E-C.com. I'm just encouraged we got five listeners, Josh. Good job <laughs> drumming up those um those five listeners that we needed to be able to find a qualifier yeah. or a winner. Must be a good day. Giveaway. No question about it. Yeah, we normally have four. I think on Fridays, we because of the delegation, <laughs> That's it. I think we may end up with uh, six or seven. Might even get into double figures here Whoa. on a rare occasion. So let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jammy in Darlington. Good morning. Morning, guys. Uh, I wanted to call earlier before Jeff got up, but I'm, I think he gets up around nine o'clock. He calls late in the after in the show. I won't, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say um, I believe Jeff is not a Jimmy Buffett fan. I would think he's more of a Indigo Girls, maybe a Sinead O'Connor listener, and uh, and then Williams. I consider Williams a drive-by caller. He likes to get his points in, and then he hangs up. He doesn't want to argue with you. And that's all I got to say. Thank you, Jam. He sounds like Forrest Gump, but he said that. And that's, that's all, all I got say to about say that. about that. Um, you know, there are some of you out there, and Rev knows this, that um, that send messages, email, um, Twitter, Facebook normally. Don't let those people on the show. But this is our forum. We hear forum. it all the time. Yeah, this is our forum. This is where we gather this is where we um, have our ideas and opinions expressed. Why do you let Jeff and Williams even over uh, the airwaves? How can I argue that conservative talk radio is the last bastion of independent thinking and the allowing of people to express themselves however they see fit if we screen calls, if we censored certain opinions and certain people um, I mean, to me, it, it, it stimulates me. I mean, I can't speak to the, to the masses. And I understand there may be a degree of frustration with not being able to directly communicate with the person who you find to be a, a bit antagonistic, right? I mean, I, I'm able to communicate with Jeff or Williams. I can, you know, point, counterpoint, agreement, disagreement. Um, you can't. 
And and I know the feeling of yelling at the radio. Done it before. Yell at the television. Done it before. I did it Saturday night more than you care to imagine. <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah, at my Gamecocks, you know, just yelling and screaming, uh, profanity-laced tirades. <laughs> and my wife said, what did you say? Oh, the Gamecocks are on. I mean, okay. I thought you were talking to me. I said, I would never talk to you that way. But she gets confused when the Gamecocks are on because I developed this different personality that I'm a little bit ashamed of. But apparently it ain't going to change. You know what I mean? The Gamecocks are going to frustrate. And I'm going to react to that frustration. I have since the beginning of time, and I guess I will to the end. But I understand, you know, being kind of locked out of that communique. You know, you've got a radio on, and you're waiting to hear somebody kind of kind of affirm your beliefs and, and, and give you an opportunity to, okay, I mean, I, I, the world that my worldview is not bizarre nor crazy. There are other people out there who think like I do, despite what the media and academia say. There are a universe of people who have similar dispositions and perspectives to me. And along comes somebody who just kind of um, rains on your parade, so to speak, and you can't engage. You, you can't respond. And that's a bit powerless. And, and I do understand it. So the reason that I don't feel that way is I am, you know, able to directly respond. Um, we hardly ever, I, I think we've done it once or twice, kind of shut somebody down. You know, Josh knows when to kind of turn it down like, whoa, okay, this is, I'm going to a place that is probably not good for anybody, but we hardly ever, ever do that. Let's go to the phone. Danny and Camden. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, good morning. Uh, y'all were talking yesterday uh, about economic situations and stuff like that. And, and you're talking about the government spending money and how much Trump spent in particular, but with all his tax cuts and all of that, the revenue had gone way up. If Biden hadn't come in and uh, counseled everything, don't you think that we that his tax cuts would have made the revenue up high enough that we would have that it, it wouldn't have looked like we spent that much money? Well, I mean, thank does you for the call. Sense? Yeah, it sure yeah, does. Except I mean, for that, COVID. Well, I mean, yeah, there's a fundamental debate about you know the problem in Washington of not balancing the budget. Some people believe we lack the revenue. Others believe we just got to control spending. Um, you know, the, the, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan in trickle down economics. But, but I do believe that when businesses grow, the economy grows, people are employed and make more money, uh, you know, um, there are more revenue or more tax receipts generated for the federal government. I think there's a mixed bag on tax cuts. I think strategically cutting taxes, strategically deregulating leads to a faster growing economy, more prosperity for the masses. Um, and and that, that's a complicated debate. But but. In theory, and I think for the sake of talk radio, I mean, this isn't, you know, a PowerPoint presentation or a lecturing series about the economy and tax receipts and revenue and expenditures. But, but, but when, when you really break it down, you've got an amount of money coming in and you've got an amount of money going out. I mean, every business person in the world knows exactly what that's like. And, and you know, if you got more g- coming in than going out, you've got a margin. And there, there's a margin you try to make in this business and a margin you try to make in that business. Uh, I, I've got friends in the restaurant business. I'm a passive owner in a um, hospitality enterprise, and it's hard right now because of inflation, um, because of uh, – I'll give you another example. I, I think a problem with – I go back to the Happy Meal. Um, a problem with the food industry today is so few players are there. You've got, I won't call the names, but you've got about two food providers controlling about 80% of the market. You suspect they may collude from time to time? I'll give you an example. 
Um, shortly after COVID, mayonnaise doubled in price, butter doubled in price. And the reason I'm using those are ingredients, central ingredients. Um, they're about half what they were, but the food companies haven't decreased their prices accordingly. I mean, you know, price gouging, I don't know, making big margins. Yeah. I mean, food companies are making record profits now, despite, uh, I mean, butter and, and, you know, so some soybeans are traded as a commodity. I mean, you know what the price of corn and soybeans and some of these central ingredients, uh, to the food industry, but, but I want to go back to the debt. The debt is not a problem of revenue. I mean, the government's taking in more revenue year over year than they ever have in its history. The the federal government of the United States of America is taking in more money than any other government in the history of mankind ever has. And we're still going to spend $2 trillion this year that we don't have. I mean, if, if you tried to tax the private sector to a degree that led to a balanced budget without addressing spending, I mean, it would destroy the private sector. I mean, it would absolutely destroy the private sector. If you try to take $2 trillion of productivity and profitability out of the private sector, gave it to the government to balance its budget this year, I mean, we would be an absolute, I mean, you're talking about a a nation in decline. I mean, that that, that would be one of the first nails to go in the coffin. I mean, that, that would be the beginning of the end of America as we know it. It would be a socialist, communist experience where the you know the state does all the means of production and all the uh, the productivity and profitability of of the private sector. So I've never believed that the problem with our, our deficits or our, our you know our spending imbalances is about revenue. It's about spending, and it's about the commitments we've made and and not been willing to address on entitlements. I mean, it keeps going back to that, but it's it's because it's true. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. I mean, that's about 72-ish percent of all spending. Um, 10,000 people are turning 65 years old every day. They're becoming eligible to participate in those entitlement programs. I know you paid in. I get it. I understand it. It's unfair what they've done with Social Security and the trust fund. It's criminal what they've done, in all honesty. I mean, you're talking about crimes in government. Whomever allowed the fleecing? of the Social Security trust bot or trust fund, uh, I mean, that, that that person should be indicted. And I wouldn't have any problem with taking a load off Fanny, you know, going after that person. But, that, you know, it's a Ponzi scheme today. They need young workers paying in so they can provide the, you know, the subsidence to those who are on the other side. And until we're willing to agree that because 10,000 people today are turning 65, and that's going to create more and more and more of a financial burden, and we're not going to raise revenue to a point to keep up with that. Unless we obliterate the private sector, I mean that. So, so that's where we are, and, and we can have as complicated a debate as you'd like to about what the highest marginal tax rate, you know, what what sort of regulation or deregulation should take place. Those are fundamental debates in American politics. But go, Washington has a spending problem, and the reason it's become uh, kind of an addict to excessive spending is they have a Federal Reserve that allows them. I mean, I go back to the most powerful planet. Excuse me country on the planet. I mean, here's the model. You ready? I mean, here's the financial model. Let's spend money we don't have. The Fed buys that debt, that deficit debt with money they don't have, but they have the ability to print money out of thin air. And we we call ourselves, we refer to ourselves as the, the greatest superpower the planet has ever known, right? I'm an American exceptionalism. I mean, we talk a lot about that here on the air. Well, our financial model, which is the most important of all, 
can we pay our bills or not, is predicated upon government allocating money it doesn't have, approving programs, spending on programs it doesn't have, depending on the Fed to buy that debt with money they don't have, but the luxury of creating money out of thin air. I mean, how how are we not a nation in decline when we've accepted that as normal? It's bizarre to me. And, and I'll go back to what I said yesterday about Carl Icahn and William, um, excuse me, um, Buffett. Uh, not Jimmy. Uh, Warren Buffett. <laughs> Warren. Warren Buffett. Yeah. Uh, got Jimmy and Warren crossed up there. Um, where did I get William? William. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's a combination of Warren and Jimmy. Must be. There, there's Dilexia 101 or the busy head syndrome meets Dilexia. Um, but, but in, you know, when Icon is asked, is there a number that concerns you? And he says, of course. I mean, in other words, hell yeah, there's a number that concerns me. And then they say, what is that number? You know what he says? I don't know. And they ask Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger who has seen more sunrises and sunsets than I have. I mean, they're, they're, they're nearing a couple of hundred years of life and, and living in the financial world. And when you ask Munger and Buffett, is there a number that concerns you with our federal debt? And they say, of course there is. I mean, there is a point of no return. And, and then someone says, what is that number? And they say, I don't know. So if Buffett, Munger, and Carl Icahn don't know, I surely don't know. But who in their right mind believes you can spend a trillion dollars a year that you don't have and skate? That's bizarre to me. I mean, that's craziness to me. We can have debates on a lot of things. I don't know how to debate that. I mean, if you're on the side of it's okay. I mean, I under modern monetary theory. I mean, that Keynesian economist. I mean, that would be the other argument. But but it's I mean, it's just it, it's unbelievable that people believe and ascribe. Uh, to that notion, everything's okay. As long as we can print money we don't have, pay bills we owe, everything's okay. I just, f- for the life of me. And I'll tell you what we're doing, guys. We're doing the greatest disservice one generation has ever done to following generations. We're burdening people with debt that they honestly don't owe. The people that we say we love most, our kids and grandkids. Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. They still, for whatever reason, support this nonsense, and we <laughs> certainly do appreciate it. Um, we're going to try to tie a couple of things together here. Um, you know what? We we talk a lot about higher education, student debt, talk a lot about music, talk a lot about politics. Here's our question today. The first answer, first correct answer, not answer, but the first correct answer uh, to the question wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. Couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's uh, T-shirts, I'm on my second Celsius uh, this morning. Here's the question. You ready? Jimmy Buffett was uh, kind of an island escapist or a saltwater cowboy, but he was also a college graduate. Where did Jimmy Buffett graduate from college? 843-661-0937. Had a bachelor's degree from where? 843, Red's hmm. like, really? Jimmy Buffett didn't graduated know. from college? This will be news to me. He did. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Hi, you are on. You know the answer? You know versus Alabama. Nope, not Alabama. 843-661-0937. Hello, you're on the air. You know the answer? Southern Mississippi. You're right. University of Southern Mississippi. Um, a bachelor in the liberal arts is what his okay. degree was. Who is this and where are you calling from? Hey, this is Robin from Florence. All right, my man. Hang tight. We'll get you back with Josh. We'll get all your information. 
Um, the other, I mean, Southern Miss has a, I think Brett Favre is a graduate of Southern Miss, if I'm not uh, mistaken. But yeah, the last person you would expect to have a college degree is Jimmy Buffett. I mean, you look to be like, really? Yeah. Jimmy Buffett's got a college Did degree? Did not know. Yeah, and, uh, he went to, uh, born in Mississippi on Christmas Day and obviously died this past week, uh, September 1st, I think was the day he died. Um, and I think it was in New York when he died. That's kind of weird. I mean, he died in New York. I think he got rushed to the hospital, had some uh, sort of condition or situation. Uh, born in Mississippi, graduated University of Southern Mississippi. But when I think of Buffett, I think of Florida. I mean, I think of Key West and the Caribbean yep. and that coastal, you know, um, South Florida lifestyle. I'm talking about the West Coast of Florida. I don't necessarily think of Buffett with Miami. I mean, that doesn't, I agree. you know, it's, it's more um, the Caribbean influences of Key West and some of the other places. But um, read, read this story about he and his wife. I think he and his wife met, got married, didn't work out, got divorced, and then got married again or got separated. I don't think they got divorced, but got separated. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, a part of our, I don't know, era took it on the chin this week by Buffett passing away. But yeah, um, if you if you made a list of the people, that you would expect to not have a college degree. Buffett would probably be, <laughs> would be on that list. No way Jimmy Buffett went to college. Not only did he go, he graduated. There's well, a well, difference if you, in, if you made a list of people that are not billionaires, he'd be on that yeah, list probably too. Probably so, yeah. But, but, um, but he surprised us again. He surprised us again. So um, maybe he owes that billion-dollar estate to the college education well, maybe. Uh, that, that he gained. Maybe there's some, um, I don't know, some uh, some business expertise that he learned at the University of Southern uh, Mississippi, and he graduated. I mean, you know, you would expect all of us tried it. You know, <laughs> it took for some of us, and others it did. It didn't. But uh, but Buffett hung in there and got a degree from the University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, enjoy your weekend. We'll talk not this coming Tuesday, but rather as business as usual Monday. this coming Monday. Enjoy your weekend.